Who am I? You sure you want to know? The story of my life is not for the faint of heart. If somebody said it was a happy little tale, somebody lied. I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. Welcome to Now Playing's Amazing Spider-Man Retrospective Series. Can Spider-Man come out to play? Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. The real crime would be not to finish what we started. Hosted by Stuart. People looked up to this boy and called him a hero. Well, I'll tell you what I call him. Public enemy number one. Arnie. Yes, my Spider-Lord. And Jacob. Please, Scooby-Doo this crap. Ooh, my spider sense is tingling. If you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but if your spider sense is tingling, it's because this podcast will have detailed plot spoilers and mild language. So listener discretion is advised. We're gonna have a hell of a time. Get him, Tiger. Today we're discussing Spider-Man No Way Home, starring Tom Holland, Zendaya, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jacob Batalon, John Favreau, Jamie Foxx, Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina, Benedict Wong, Tony Revolori, with Marissa Tomei, and Andrew Garfield, and Tobey Maguire directed by John Watts. This is Arnie, the now-playing co-host who was the life of the full moon party at Carmitage. And Stuart. And this is Jacob, the co-host you can always recognize because I dress as a cool youth pastor. You do, and you know what? That look works for you. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to the Church of Spider-Man. You know, it sounds naive, but I forget how popular this character is. We see so many superhero movies, I'm like, oh, here's another one. But no. Spider-Man is up there. I I always forget that until I have to go to an opening weekend screening and see the cosplay and the rabid enthusiasm. He's like neck and neck with Superman and Batman. For Marvel, he is the Superman or Batman, at least with the comics. And for the longest time, that's what I thought was so weird when Iron Man was becoming the backbone of the MCU. And like, I'm like, no, it's Spider-Man. Like, it's always Spider-Man. He's the heart of Marvel. And yeah, I haven't felt that with this MCU, Spider-Man, because there's been so much else going on. I know, they made C-listers and D-listers into A-listers. Captain America, Iron Man, they became the face of Marvel, even though... In the 90s, they did a survey, and I truthfully believe part of the reason Disney bought Marvel is because a worldwide survey found that Spider-Man was the most recognizable fictional character of all time. Mickey Mouse was number two. (laughs) Did did they buy Marvel and then go, oh, wait, we don't get Spider-Man with it? Sony's got that? (laughs) I'm just waiting for them to buy Columbia Pictures. Sony doesn't want to make movies. Disney doesn't want to share Spider-Man. And... That became a problem with this movie. I mean, because bringing Spider-Man into the MCU was a big deal. Mm. And it was a last minute thing, kind of shoehorned into Civil War because Sony and the email hack is what actually led to everybody coming back to the table and saying, maybe we can play nice. And Marvel would 
give Kevin Feige to them and take only 5% of Sony's profits. And that's profits. And Sony's probably saying we haven't made a penny on any of these movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's got to be they'd almost do it for free just to have their iconic character back. And yet the divorce happened after Spider-Man Far From Home came out. It was announced that Marvel and Sony are parting ways. Oh, I remember this. Yes. The next Spider-Man movie will be taking place in the, not the MCU, but the SSU. The Spider-Man shared universe with Venom and Morbius. Is that what they're calling that? I call that the junk pile, but okay. (laughs) But now I think Venom's in the MCU after this film. Like, Disney's stealing it all back. What happened was... They had a script ready to go. They were going to make a standalone Spider-Man 3, no MCU connections, and they weren't even sure if John Watts was going to return. They'd signed John Watts to a two-picture deal. And during this whole thing, Kevin Feige is like saying to John Watts, oh, well, if we're not doing Spider-Man 3, why don't you come with us? We got other Marvel movies for you, John. There's a fight over John Watts. I feel like that's the least important ingredient in this. <laughs> I hear he signed for a Fantastic Four. Yeah, there was a fight over John Watts. And huh. so we almost got Spider-Man 3, where it would have been Tom Holland's Spider-Man. And finally on screen, Craven the Hunter was going to be the bad guy. I did read that. I read they were thinking about Craven. That's a huge storyline, The Last Hunt. Yeah, I don't know that they'd jump straight to Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, you kind of got to just go there. <laughs> That's like the Dark Knight Returns comic for Spider-Man. It's really bleak and dark and not a whole lot of words. And Spider-Man gets his ass pummeled. But Craven, for those who don't know, is a big game hunter out of Africa in the 616 or out of Australia in the Ultimate Comics because they were going for that Steve Irwin thing. He prides himself on being able to hunt anything. He ended up considering Spider-Man the big game. We see a lot of silhouettes at the end of this film. I thought I saw one with like a spear. I was wondering if that was supposed to be Craven. I'm sure that has to be him. I saw the spear as well and the big puffy chest. Usually yes. he wears that lion's vest. So that was the movie we almost got. And then... Tom Holland, you say stars have no power, I believe you usually, Tom Holland called Bob Iger, he didn't call Kevin Feige, he called Bob Iger, CEO of Disney. Uh Uh-oh, not following the chain of command, that will get you in trouble. Then he called Tom Rothman, head of Columbia Pictures, and he gave them a pitch about what he felt he had to offer both universes, and the way Tom describes it is, it's like the parents are getting a divorce and the kid is trying to make them stay together. Real parent trap situation here. His argument was sufficient where it got all parties back to the table because what happened was Disney didn't want to give up so much of Feige. They said, if you want Feige on your pictures, we now want 25% of your money. But somehow they came to a deal that would involve Venom and involve Morbius in ways that I still don't understand even after seeing this movie. I went to an Ace Comic Con about a week after this was announced, and Tom Holland was pretty shy about saying anything, but I actually met Tom Holland briefly, and I shook his hand, and I said, thank you. Thank you for making the call to Disney and Sony. Thank you for keeping this together. Was he responsible for just keeping Spidey in the MCU, or did he come up with the idea for a reunion? He's just responsible for keeping Spider-Man in the MCU. Okay. And this was apparently the MCU plan 
for Spider-Man 3. The fact is, even though we had Into the Spider-Verse back in 2018, a great Spider-Man animated movie, the MCU had always been going towards the multiverse for its post- Thanos era. This wasn't to step on DC's balls again, like, oh yeah, you're, you're bringing Michael Keaton back, we're gonna beat you, because we got more money, we could get it done quicker. Like the way Civil War beat Batman v Superman to yes. theaters? <laughs> DC, you are just so second runner these days. And the funny thing is, DC already has a Flash trailer out showing Michael Keaton. Yeah, I know! Marvel was so <laughs> confident they didn't even need to show us Toby or Andrew. They showed us Alfred Molina, which, like, became a meme. Hello, Peter. Like, that was how my girls knew this movie, because of that meme. You say that, but I guess I was living under a rock all this time. I didn't really see a whole lot about this movie. I knew that, yes, the multiverse is the big theme of where everything is headed. Doctor Strange, a lot of the things that they have upcoming. I mean, we talked about Loki. Yeah, exactly. It's been present for a while. I figured that was the big storyline post-Thanos. So... Yes, I figured that they were going to be pulling from old Spider-Man movies, whoever they could get. But Arnie, you were the one that was in the know. If I knew anything about this movie going in at all, it was because you mentioned something casually off air. And I didn't even say everything. I was so excited for this movie. I got the score. And I'm not usually a Michael Giacchino fan, (laughs) as has come out on the show many times. No, I've heard your thoughts on him on the show. You know what? I'm not above saying when a person's artistic ability has grown, and he has gotten better. I actually really like the score for this movie. I've listened to it independently a couple of times. But goddammit, didn't you learn with The Phantom Menace to not have a (laughs) Qui-Gon's noble end? Track 18, May Dies. I didn't even tell you guys that one. You told us that you bought the soundtrack and that a major character, Death, is the name of a song. You told us that. And so I went in knowing somebody was going to die. But then again, I would expect that. So, like, I don't think that this movie could be spoiled for me because I feel like it's set in stone that it's going to be a big party. We're going to invite everyone back. We'll see who shows up. And whatever happens, happens. It's a multiverse. So even if someone dies, that can be erased, right? Yeah. And they never said Toby and Andrew were coming back. But I felt like everyone knew that. And I feel like we wouldn't be able to record right now because there would be riots going on, power <laughs> outages if they didn't. Like, I've never seen the cult of no spoilers as strong as this film. But it, at the same time, like, everyone kind of knew what was going to happen. To the point that they've only done two trailers for this film, and I think it might be because of Corona. They were really playing it close to the vest. The first trailer didn't come out until late August. This thing moved release dates a few times. It was going to be July, and then November, and then finally December. Hence why all of a sudden it's a Christmas thing right at the end. All of a sudden (laughs) it's snowing, where it's been like Halloween before that. Okay. Yeah, I I feel like they made some changes in post with the Mm -hmm. (laughs) extra thing. There's a couple of moments where you hear like Christmas music even earlier on. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, they they mixed that in when it was a December release. Yeah. But the first trailer came out in August. The second one didn't come out until late October. There was a cut of the second trailer that showed all three Spider-Men. And let's face it, if you show Alfred Molina and you're showing Willem Dafoe... They show Willem Dafoe? Yeah. I never saw Willem Dafoe. They show Willem Dafoe on the second trailer, though. And Sandman and Lizard. You might as well show the other Spider-Mans because... 
it makes no sense for them not to show up. Yeah, it was so funny because in that trailer, I remember there was like an, a slightly extended, I think it was like a Brazilian cut of the trailer. And you see Electro and Sandman and Lizard like charging forward against one Spider-Man. And then you see like Lizard in the corner. No one around him like gets punched in the face and like falls backwards. And obviously they had digitally erased Spider-Man from that scene. Mm -hmm. But it was such a thing. I was so invested because like you said, Jacob, if they were there, it was going to be exciting. But if they weren't there, that was the expectation. So the disappointment would have been so great. Yeah, I feel like once you showed Doc Ock and pumpkin bombs and things from the other universes, like you got to deliver on that promise or people are going to be very upset. But how much of them? What will they actually do? Five seconds of Toby going, hey, my back. And like, would that be it? <laughs> I tended to think that given Marvel has invested a lot in this universe and not so much in the Sony-verse, that they would probably minimize the involvement of everyone that came before Homecoming. I agree, Stuart. My expectation was Ghostbusters Afterlife. Like, we're going to do a cheap three-minute cameo with the old Spider-Man. I was going to be really upset, just try to get that nostalgia. You could probably still make those arguments, but I expected them to be in this very little. I'll also just say, at the risk of extreme offense, I don't care whether they come back or not. I'm the one that doesn't really like Spider-Man. So I went back. I just wanted to test the theory. I watched everything from the first Tobey Maguire to Spider-Verse. And do you take back your not recommend for Spider-Man 2? Yeah, I'll take it back if it makes <laughs> you feel better. But I might not recommend the first one with Green Goblin. Like, I Really? Yeah, that's... it's No! Here's the truth. I don't really like any of them. Honest to God, he's just not my superhero. The quips... The teenage angsty thing, all of that, I don't care. And so, yeah, maybe some movies are better than others, but they kind of were all the same thing to me. And the only one I genuinely, truly enjoy would turn it on right now and have a good time is that animated film. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, that is, that's so much better. I think we all rewatched these. I had a very different reaction, Stuart, because I always said, like, I'm not a Spider-Man guy. I don't get why people like him. And I don't know, maybe I'm older and, like, I could feel his sadness more or something <laughs> as I rewatched all these. But I connected with Spider-Man as a character more. The thing is, he's not Tony Stark. He's not rich. He's a kid. And he's got to save the world. And he, that causes him to ignore everyone. Like, I really got into those moments. So my opinions of the Maguire ones more or less stayed the same i will say i would flip my arrow on amazing spider-man one like i really enjoyed that one i really enjoyed garfield just all the way more around than mcguire or holland i think they all bring their own unique thing but that's the one i had a big flip on was the amazing spider-man but more or less my opinions remain the same on all of them what I liked about Spider-Man 2 was the relationship he had with Doc Ock. That became more clear watching it again. There's still a lot of awkward comedy. I still feel like the movie stops many times to do some bit that's weird and not funny. But yeah, I'll recommend that movie. If it makes everyone happy, Smile Green Arrow. <laughs> It, what I found interesting, too, was, like, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, like, they were the universe. Like, Spider-Man was the center of those universes, and it really, like, set apart how I felt about Holland. Rewatching the Holland ones is like, no, these are MCU films with, like, Spider-Man running around once in a while. But, like, those other ones, they were centering their unit, especially the Andrew Garfield stuff. Like, they were really building everything around Oscorp and really going for a whole universe there where Spider-Man felt important. I do feel like Holland, Spider-Man, has been sidelined a little bit after watching all of these within a pretty short time period. 
I'd agree that Spider-Man in the MCU feels like more personal stories, less global stakes. I also did rewatch all these films. And if I could flip an arrow, the only thing I'd say is there's an editor's cut of Spider-Man 3 out there that is just better enough. It's shorter, first of all, then that helps. <laughs> it's just better enough that I would give it a weak green arrow for the editor's cut. Yeah, I will say Spider-Man 3, like, I think it's a little underrated. I get why it gets so much hate. I don't think it's actually deserving of all that hate. It definitely needs some work done, cut out half the characters. But I kind of got into Raimi's campy Spider-Man universe this time, which was kind of off-putting before, but I kind of enjoyed it this time. Yeah, the Raimi years were better than the Garfield years. I'm just going to say that. I'm surprised to hear you, Jacob. But, but, but Garfield was better as Spider-Man. I forgot that they, they were spy movies and that he had to find out his parents <laughs> were, like, espionage. Yeah. No, they're really building up a whole universe around Spider-Man. It feels like if you didn't get Iron Man to have your universe, like that's what Sony was doing with Spider-Man. I'd call the Garfield films underrated, except I know a lot of millennials who Andrew Garfield is their Spider-Man. Like, they're like, we don't care about those old films. Yeah, I'm telling you, as like a modern day nerd, like Garfield works. Again, I don't want to say anyone like this one's crap or that. They're all different takes, but I do feel like Holland and McGuire are more rooted in that 50s, 60s, you know, Marvel comic book, typical nerd where Garfield, at least it felt like they were trying to do something contemporary. I'll also just say that Andrew Garfield, of all of them, has probably had the most illustrious career outside of Spider-Man. Hacksaw Ridge. I saw him on Broadway in Angels in America. He's probably going to get an Oscar nomination this year for Tick, Tick, Boom. He was really good in that Tammy Faye movie. Yeah. He has proven that he's more than Spider-Man, whereas Tobey Maguire, other than Great Gatsby, I haven't seen the guy in decades. I saw Pawn Sacrifice, but I think he's too busy winning at Molly's game to actually act. And Tom Holland, I did check out some of his edgier work to see what he's capable of. Mm, pass. Yeah, I watched what Cherry come out this year, and Tom Holland just feels too young. Like, it feels like he's always doing that Parker act to me. That's just a bad movie, but he tries. Yeah. He really did try, <laughs> but it just not served by the material. Devil All the Time was a pretty cool film, but he's not necessarily the focus of it. So I see the ambition, and maybe he'll get there but again, Garfield wins, if nothing else, in that I feel like he is a respectable actor. And you know what? Watching this movie, I feel like he really developed his own physical language for Spider-Man. The way he shot webs by jutting his hands out and things. He really created a unique thing there that stands apart from what came before or after. I agree with you. I think he's probably the best actor of the three. Strangely, he might be the hardest to get, although Toby has so much gambling money, I don't know that he needs to act. <laughs> but I w wish that we weren't recording this weekend of release, because, of course, they did try to keep under wraps that Toby Maguire's there, that Andrew Garfield's there, and I can't wait for the commentary on the disc, Sony still does those for most movies. Marvel doesn't, but Sony does. They still do discs? Yes, they still do discs. I still buy them. And I want to know how this came together. I want to know who was the holdout. I want to know who was on board. I want to know, and it will eventually come out, who negotiated the most money yeah, let's get real. Who did they have to drop the money bomb on to say, <laughs> get back here? Like, it, probably someone we wouldn't expect. It's probably like the biggest one was Jamie Foxx or something, you know? Like, these actors <laughs> and their play and pay deals, who knows? But 
I can imagine yep. Jamie Foxx being very expensive. Rise Ivans took the bank. That's what it was. <laughs> they just had to have the lizard back. Yeah, you didn't even need him. You could just keep him the lizard the whole time. Yeah, I feel like he's barely in this anyway. Mm. I don't even think Thomas Hayden Church showed up on set, literally. He was CGI the whole time, right? Even when he was human, I'm pretty sure that was CGI. Uh, yeah, they made him look like he did 20 years ago. I don't think that that was without CGI magic. Yeah, he really bulked up and slimmed down for that Spider-Man 3 role. I think they just decided, eh, we don't need him on set versus him attempting to... Yeah, bring him into a voice booth, we'll get his voice, and that's it. But what I do know is that Tom Holland said that this script was all or nothing when it came to casting, and immediately before they started filming, quote, several other key actors had yet to sign on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Could you imagine being halfway through this and being like, well, we don't got Toby. I guess we just move ahead. Yeah, only Garfield came through the portal, not Toby. <laughs> you could do it, but I agree. There's something about the fact that it's going to go through all the Spider-Man movies people love. They didn't get the guy from the 70s TV movies. Nicholas Hammond was available, he said. <laughs> I was wondering if I missed him, like, in the background of some shot. They could have gone with other people, voice actors from cartoons, whoever's on Electric Company. I mean... There have been other Spider-Men. Turn off the dark. I'm sure that actor would love some attention. (laughs) Hey, Reeve Carney is actually working pretty hard these days. I'm glad. I take nothing away from him. He was in a ridiculous spectacle on Broadway, but (laughs) it's no reflection on his talent. My point is the ones that really mean something, I think, to most movie-going audiences are the ones they were able to get back. And because of that, it's yeah changed the movie we probably would have gotten if they weren't here. And one of the biggest movies of all time, not just the biggest pandemic movie, this film on Thursday night, which is when I went to see it, I went three o'clock in the afternoon on Thursday. This movie on Thursday night made $50 million. Yeah, number three Thursday opening after The Force Awakens and Endgame, I believe. And that's all time. That's not just pandemic. Endgame got $60 million. Force Awakens, 57 million. In the middle of Omicron, Spider-Man got 50 million. We know why there's going to be a spike in two weeks. Spider-Man's fault. (laughs) (laughs) To put it in perspective, since the pandemic, the second highest grossing film for a Thursday is Black Widow with 13 million. Yeah, remember how happy they were with Black Widow making 60 million for an entire weekend? They did that in almost a day. But again, yeah, you have to respect the fact that Spider-Man is something special that goes beyond the usual superhero stuff. And he's been going for a long time. We have generations of Spider-Men to talk about, so it can bring all ages. I've been in some crowded movie theaters this fall. I mean, Dune was packed, but I hadn't been in anything like this. Yeah, the throng of people at 4 o'clock on a Thursday in IMAX... It was big. You could feel it. And they were vocal. More than the fact that they showed up. They were cheering. They let me know the big moments. They told me things were significant when I was like, what's going on? When a blind guy showed up, like you're like, oh, I guess he's someone. Everyone's cheering. Yeah, there's definitely things you guys are going to have to explain to me. But it was fun to be in an enthusiastic big crowd. I had cosplayers. And then I had one guy who was there in Marvel pajama pants. I had one of them. Like, not Spider-Man pajama <laughs> pants, but Marvel ones? They just had the Marvel logo? Well, no, they had Marvel characters all over okay. them. <laughs> oh, no, this was a Spider-Man p- pajama party. 
<laughs> there were some little kids there dressed up as Spider-Man. One as classic Spider-Man, one as Iron Spider-Man. And then I went back on Friday night to see it in XD instead of IMAX. Again, sold out theater. Both my showings sold out. I went and randomly picked non-XD, non-IMAX times to look at tickets. And there were like maybe three seats left on the 2.30 Friday afternoon showing. Just a packed theater both times. The first night was very vocal. The second night, I actually got to hear a lot more of the dialogue. (laughs) I went and looked on the apps because I went to the drive-in. I got there an hour early because I was afraid it was going to be packed, and it was. And even though, like, it's been raining out here, people chanced it. Like, we're going to go see Spider-Man, even though it might be canceled. But I did look at my apps where you could buy tickets online. And, yeah, unless you wanted to sit in the two front rows, like, it was sold out everywhere. A lot of hype, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of people wanting this to be great. Arnie, give them the plot. Let's find out what they got. Spider-Man No Way Home picks up at the moment the last film ended, with Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio on TV framing Spider-Man for his death. And then he revealed that Spider-Man is really high school teenager Peter Parker, played by Tom Holland. This revelation causes a lot of publicity and possible criminal charges for Peter, his girlfriend MJ, played by Zendaya, his best friend Ned, played by Jacob Batalon, and Peter's Aunt May, played by Marissa Tomei. Even as Peter tries to resume a normal life, when school went back in session, his senior year was filled with student paparazzos and weird acting teachers. Worst of all, this scandal has made every college reject Peter, Ned, and MJ. To try and fix this, Peter goes to Master of the Mystic Arts, Dr. Stephen Strange, played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Trying to help the fellow Avenger, Strange casts a spell of forgetting across the universe. No one will remember Peter Parker as Spider-Man. But Peter realizes the implications of this too late. His girlfriend won't remember him, nor will his aunt, nor will the Avengers. Peter tried to change the spell at the last minute, causing it to go out of control. Instead of making everyone in this universe forget Peter Parker was Spider-Man, the spell started to call from across the multiverse everyone who, in any reality, ever knew Peter Parker was Spider-Man. Strange shuts down the spell, but not before a handful of people slip through the dimensional rift. Strange tasks Peter with finding these folks, all of whom are Spider-Man villains from previous Spider-Man movies. Going backwards, from Amazing Spider-Man 2, we have Max Dillon, aka Electro, played by Jamie Foxx. And Electro has found a way to regain his human form. He's not blue anymore. And he lost the new metal backup chorus. You know, they're always like behind him like, I am so bad. I am so bad. I had forgotten about that. But when he watched it, it all flooded back to me. I'm like, oh boy. Yeah. There are reasons to hate this film. That is awful. <laughs> he hates on me. Electricity. <laughs> Wait for Fred Durst to, like, kick in with the chorus, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he kept the bass-erific score. From Amazing Spider-Man 1, we have Dr. Kurt Connors in his CGI lizard form, played by Rise Ivans. From Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3 is the Sandman, Flint Marco, played by Thomas Hayden Church. From Spider-Man 2 is Dr. Otto Octavius, also known as Dr. Octopus, played by Alfred Molina. And from the first Spider-Man movie in 2002 is Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, real name Norman Osborn. Peter captures all these baddies and brings them to Doctor Strange, who prepares a spell to send them all back to the original time and place from whence they came. But Peter realizes that several of them came from the moment before their death, and to send them back is to doom them. 
Strange is fine with it, so Peter and Strange fight with Peter trapping Strange in the mirror dimension. Peter believes if he can cure these people, remove their superpowers, then sending them back may let them live. Helping Peter with this science experiment is Norman Osborn. His split personality has the goblin suppressed, and kindly Norman is helping Peter develop the tech needed to depower Electro and put a new control chip on Doc Ock's arms. When it comes time to cure Osborn, however, the Green Goblin personality emerges. He frees Electro, kills Aunt May, and flies off. Peter disappears, mourning the death of his aunt. Ned and MJ use Doctor Strange's sling ring to magically search for Peter Parker, and they find him, but not the one they're searching for. Also through the interdimensional crack came Spider-Man, played by Andrew Garfield, and Spider-Man, played by Tobey Maguire. Those Spider-Men, along with Ned and MJ, help the MCU Peter pull himself together. Then the three science whiz superheroes develop cures for the five bad guys. The MCU Peter goes on TV telling the bad guys to meet him at the Statue of Liberty or he'll send them home to die. The five bad guys come and it takes a little while for the three Spider-Mans to work as a team, but they do and cure all the bad guys. But in the process, the box that kept the original malfunctioning spell contained was broken an infinite number of beings are now coming into the MCU. Peter tells Doctor Strange, who's back from the Mirror Dimension, to do a spell that will fix all of this. A spell that will make absolutely everyone forget Peter Parker. That spell sends all the bad guys and the other two Spider-Men back to their original universes, but now Peter is completely alone. Ned doesn't remember his best friend, MJ doesn't remember the young man she loved. Peter decides not to tell them who he is and instead gets his own apartment and patrols the streets of New York City as Spider-Man, as credits roll. To a scene of drunk Eddie Brock, played by Tom Hardy <laughs> in Mexico. You may remember at the end of the second Venom movie, Eddie and Venom were brought into the MCU. Yeah, when it's set up for Venom to be in this film. <laughs> well, now Eddie is learning about how this universe is filled with superpowered beings. And no sooner does he learn who the Hulk is, then he's teleported right back out of the MCU. That didn't last long. Though a small amount of symbiote goo was left behind. And then we see a trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, ironically directed by Sam Raimi, implying this movie's actions will have far-reaching consequences as credits end. So, before we get into it, just real quick off the top, five villains? It's the Sinister Six. Could they not have squeezed one more in? Yeah, I was wondering the same thing. I guess... We'll talk about the rules of who gets to come to this universe, but I knew there was New Goblin, James Franco, like, taking over Green Goblin. I was expecting him to maybe show up at the last minute. I couldn't remember if he died or not, but there was that Topher Grace Venom. Like, he died, I think, maybe? I don't know. Come on, people. The Rhino! We want the Rhino! <laughs> yes! No, they could have brought, like, just some random villain back and, like, been, yeah, Spider-Man killed him, too. They said the rules were people who knew Peter Parker was Spider-Man. So we knew Norman Osborn knew. He found mm -hmm. out at that Thanksgiving dinner. Harry found out in Spider-Man 2. So Harry could have come. Dr. Octopus found out. Sandman kind of found out, but never really knew who Peter Parker was. But he did go, I'm sorry for killing your uncle. So that'll count. Topher Grace should have been here because he knew who Peter Parker was. What if we had Venom versus Venom at the end? Of, like, that would have been amazing. Whereas Electro, I went back and rewatched Amazing Spider-Man 2 again. Electro never knew who Peter Parker was. Yeah. 
And the Rhino never knew who Peter Parker was either. But the thing is, like, we're going to learn that Toby and Andrew have been Spider-Man, like, past those films. They're not going to give us any details, but they could have just, yeah, bring in some D-list, bring in the chameleon or something. I think the movie's plenty stacked, and I think this movie's stacked with nostalgia. You don't want to bring in new elements, new villains. This is a reunion show, a callback to see how everyone's doing, if they can still fit into the suit, <laughs> and how much CGI is it going to take to make this work. Stuart, you, you really underestimate how much nerves wanted the Sinister Six. I guess so. And also... I get it. We're getting people from the previous movies back, but isn't it convenient that the only Spider-Mans and the only villains who make it through that interdimensional rift are the ones who were in previous movies? Not a single Spider-Ham, not a single- I know, I wanted Nick Cage, live action Nick Cage dressed up as Spider-Man Noir, like, give it to me. Maybe we'll get another one of these. I was actually kind of surprised there wasn't some surprise like that, because, again, I saw that trailer, I'm like, okay, everyone's coming back, because Strange does something, like, I kind of figured out the basics of the plot, like, I thought there had to be some kind of surprise. You know what they should have done? I swear to God they should have done this. John Malkovich is the vulture. Oh, God. He was hired <laughs> to be Raimi's Spider-Man 4 villain. <laughs> they should have just done that. Yeah. It would have just been confusing. I mean, you're saying they should have made it for extreme nerds that would geek out about that stuff. And I think that you got to remember mass audiences. No, 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 no. Stuart, this is made for extreme nerds because I saw this with my family. My girls were really disappointed when it started because they're like, oh, we thought we were seeing a Spider-Verse film. You keep talking about how all the Spider-Men are showing up. They thought they were going to go see Spider-Verse 2, which <laughs> the trailer just dropped for that. But um, and then, like, the whole time, they're like, why is there a blind lawyer? Who? Why is Willem Dafoe in this? Like, because right. I haven't seen any of those other films. Like, right. this is for nerds. Well, it is definitely for people that have nostalgia and have seen Spider-Man throughout the years. But I also think that it's not about new ideas. The surprise is, the one thing I definitely thought that they would get more into than they do here is the ramifications of messing with the multiverse. They're saving all of that stuff for another movie. This is a movie about looking backwards, not looking forwards. And it wasn't supposed to be that way. This movie was supposed to come out after Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness would have set up what happened here. Due to COVID, Marvel shifted their entire movie timeline and Sony put their stick in the sand and said, nope, we said Spider-Man's coming out here. So they had to arrange it so now this movie leads into multiverse, not the other way around. Mm. And I gotta ask, because this is what we do on this show, like, where does Loki, the, the Disney Plus series, fit in? Like, I feel like the TA should have been showing up. There's lots of variants. Like, if, if you're looking for continuity. I think they would have if Loki hadn't done what he did at the end of that show. So did that take place before this? Yes. Okay. If you want to really look at the timeline, as far as I understand it from Kevin Feige, it goes, Loki was immediately after Endgame, whereas Spider-Man Far From Home was the summer after Endgame, and then No Way Home is immediately following that, and then the very end of No Way Home is taking place right about the start of Hawkeye. Which I haven't watched yet, so okay. It's really hard to reconcile Loki with these other things without some more explanation. But yes, I think that it's because Loki and Sylvie wrecked the multiverse that allowed for what if to happen and allows this to happen. And yeah, we are right back second. I'm kind of glad I went back and watched Far From Home. It was my least favorite of the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, but 
yeah, you need to be reminded of where they left you. He's here on a lamppost. It's on the Teletron that Mysterio Beck has basically made his assassination look like a hit job. And now not only does everyone know Peter Parker is Spider-Man, but half the world believes he's a villain. And J. Jonah Jameson is there. We've got J.K. Simmons back as J. Jonah Jameson, but he's not from the multiverse. There's J.K. Simmons, J. Jonah Jameson in the Raimi-verse, and this is a different J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, this is the Alex Jones version of J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, I agree. He never got to run a newspaper empire. Instead, he is like blogging and selling at some point supplements. Uh, yeah, it's very Alex Jones. <laughs> That's what Alex Jones does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's clear just graphically in the way that he presents and all that. They're doing a parody of, well, what's become news? Let's face it, less people read newspapers. It is all about what you put out there on the web. And we talked about, like, if Spider-Man killed you, you get to come back. But I guess that's only in another universe. We debated, like, is Mysterio really dead? I guess he is. He doesn't get to come back. He's not alive. Like, everyone believes he's dead, at least. I thought he would be the sixth one to show up. Yeah. I really thought at the very end, because he was at the very beginning, he'd show back up and be like, look what I have wrought. But no, I guess he is dead. Or at least Jake Gyllenhaal's too busy off making movies with Michael Bay. But no, we do start off here with Peter Parker out, and it strikes me sad how realistic it is that immediately people swarm MJ on the street, they start touching her, Peter goes down to save her, and some woman's like, Spider-Man hit me! Look, Spider-Man hit me! I mean, this is just the sad state of our society, is you're grabbing at a person, and when your hand gets pushed away, now you're suing them for assault. Yeah, it is a downside, a replication of also, you know, victims being able to speak out. I don't want to say it's all shaming innocent people, but it is a byproduct that now everyone is under suspicion, and you can destroy someone's reputation in a millisecond. Like, all of a sudden, Spider-Man has gone, he's had one week with MJ, in which only she knew... And they've been falling deeply in love. And now all that is in jeopardy because everyone knows. And he's still got another year of high school. I forget this, but he's got a senior year to go through. It feels like they're heading off to college. I thought they maybe flubbed on how old he was here because, yeah, he's applying to college. I guess you could start doing that your junior year. I was lazy and did it late, so. Yeah, I didn't do it until, like, my second semester senior year. But here yeah. they're getting all of their acceptance letters before senior year even starts. Well, yeah, I mean, they're trying to get into prestigious universities. MIT gets mentioned a lot. I don't know how much they pay to be in this movie. Not nearly as much as that Limu Emu. Yeah. I've seen a lot of, yes, ads connected with this Spider-Verse now. But yeah, so these kids, they need to like have a normal high school life. They're still going to try to do the movie that they've been making the last two times in Homecoming and Far From Home, where a lot of it is just adventures in high school, but they really can't. And I will say for me, that is a relief. That has been the struggle of the MCU Spider-Man movies, is that they have wanted to cater to the young audience so much that it feels like a Nickelodeon show sometimes. See, and I had the opposite reaction, Stuart. I thought, okay, this is big. Like, this should feel dangerous. Everyone knows who Spider-Man is now. And yeah, they, they know who they are, but they're almost celebrities when they go back to school. And it's more high school hijinks. It's about getting into college and all that. The only thing that we see that might be dangerous is like damage control shows up and they get hauled in and interrogated about what they know. Who is damage control? They're like damage incorporated. 
they go and they sort out the messes. Like after superheroes fight supervillains, they go and clean up the mess. Damage Inc. showed up in Homecoming. That, that's why Michael Keaton was so upset. He lost his business to them. I knew they did cleanup. I thought Damage Control were like the janitors who came by to fix buildings. But I didn't know that they would like prosecute people for child endangerment. Yeah, they say it's the feds when they knock on the door, so maybe there's some kind of new Homeland Security agency. Yeah, they're an offshoot of S.H.I.E.L.D. We don't want to use that anymore. And Spider-Man is in legal jeopardy, which gets cleared because I am vaguely aware there is a Daredevil show on Netflix, and this was the first crowd cheer reaction. When we see them cut to his blind lawyer, Matt Murdock, everyone in the theater was super jazzed. I mean, you remember Ben Affleck as Daredevil, don't you, Stuart? Like... Matt Murdock. Vague, vague, <laughs> vague, vague, vague. I've just repressed so much. But yes, he was a lawyer. I think that's true. Yeah. Does this mean we have to do Iron Fist? That only got one season. I know all the other Netflix stuff got multiple seasons, but... They were TV shows. Yeah. Really? No. Yes, the multiverse could encompass so much that we would have to retroactively cover. But no. You know, I liked... Netflix's Daredevil season one. Vincent D'Onofrio was the best part of it. Oh, he's great in it, yeah. Charlie Cox was good. I mean, people are excited for Charlie Cox because there's that hallway scene. I feel like that's why people love that version of Daredevil because there's a great hallway scene fight in that first season. He played it well. I like him. But I'm not hopelessly devoted to Charlie Cox so that people got so excited when he showed up and I'm like, the only thing that excites me is the thought of a Daredevil Spider-Man team up. Well, there you go. And I knew this wasn't going to be the movie. Yeah, I didn't know whether he would be involved or not, but it feels right that, yes, in the end, a subtle acknowledgement about what Netflix did. Yes, you can watch it. It feels like the MCU is like choosing who counts and who doesn't. And they're like, okay, you can watch this. Their own S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show doesn't count, but Netflix Mm-mm. does. I, I agree with that. <laughs> Have you seen The Shield? I agree with it, too. Nope, I never watched it. (laughs) I watched two episodes. But are they implicitly accepting Iron Fist if they accept Daredevil? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I I didn't see Iron Fist in this movie. Again, pick and choose. We will decide (laughs) step by step. I mean, Charlie Cox teamed up with Iron Fist. They all became the defenders of Netflix. Yeah, we're not saying that, though. Again, like you're making the case that by association, six degrees, it all counts. And I do not feel that's happening. They're saying, okay, we'll let Daredevil into this club. And he has just a funny bit here, catching a brick coming through the window. Because again, Peter's whole life now is divided between lovers and haters. Everywhere he goes, intense emotional reactions. That's the court of public opinion that Matt Murdock can't get him out of. They, they basically just say, oh yeah, you don't owe anybody any money, but guess what? This is the rest of your life. And so... Charlie Cox has a cameo here. Everybody else who's coming back has a role, but Charlie Cox is in here as a cameo. But something is said in Charlie Cox's scene when he turns to Happy Hogan. We got Jon Favreau back as Tony Stark's forehead of security. Yeah, May's breaking up with him. It hasn't worked out. And he says to Happy, we know you're loyal to Tony, but there's missing equipment at Stark Industries You need a good lawyer. Okay. So that's the fabricator. Yeah, we're going to find some equipment. Fabricator and Dummy the Drone are at Happy's place, but we never really find out why he's stealing equipment, why he needs a lawyer. Uh, If there was such thing as a fabricator, I'd be hella stealing that. Like, yeah, you just make anything you want. Yeah, give it to me. 
you know, employees take things, you know, like I've come home with a few pins, you know, like this is the the version of that. If you work at Stark, you end up with a robot arm. <laughs> I mean, I need, do need a ream of paper sometimes to print stuff at home, so I take one from work. I'm just saying. I think a fabricator is nothing but a high-tech 3D printer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I missed that line, Arnie, but yeah, I don't think they're implying anything too malevolent about Happy, other than he's going to provide a solution for Peter once we get into this plot. Yeah, they can't stay at their apartments anymore, so they go and stay at Happy's, which is awkward because Aunt May did just dump him after their summer fling. Yeah, he's with a CPAP machine in the recliner while she takes his bed and <laughs> comedy. I think that's what this Happy basically has always existed as, uh, you know, comic relief, something diverting. And you mentioned how you were glad that there were no high school hijinks, and- the first half hour of this film is the closest they'll come to flirting with that, and the real analog I have here is like the Harry Potter books and movies. I remember reading Harry Potter, and each book was supposed to be one year of his schooling, and then I felt really ripped off because the final book was supposed to be a senior year, and like school closed down, and it all became a big wizard war, and I'm like, wait, we're supposed to be in school. That's what you were promising us. <laughs> You're the only kid that would rather be in class than fighting a wizard war. Okay. <laughs> and so here, we've got a similar thing going on. We thought we were going to have a year of Spider-Man for sophomore, junior, and senior years of high school. I definitely did. Yeah. I think that's what they promised us, is that three movies, and at the end, he would graduate from high school. And so here, when he's going back to school, I expect more of that. But I notice a lot of the classmates who were in both first two movies are missing. You've got flashback to make a couple of dumb jokes about how he's Peter Parker's best friend, and they've got Betty Brant back as the school reporter. But she doesn't have her co-host that she always had in those other films. No, but she does have a TikTok channel where she's playing a Daily Bugle intern, so there is that. And Coach Wilson, I had to laugh that Hannibal Burris is part of the conspiracy theorists that think that, that was great. Peter did it. Uh, keep in mind, Hannibal Burris plays a role in the public assassination of Cosby. Yes, he made the joke that caused that whole investigation. <laughs> oh, I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. It's all because of Hannibal. Yeah, so it's a weird <laughs> meta thing that he, here he is trying to take out Peter as well. Suspicious. <laughs> Meanwhile, BJ Smoove has got the whole trophy case pimped out with, like, our local superhero. I want to tout that this school has produced Spider-Man. Again, intense reactions on both sides, and that would be overwhelming. I think the only reason we really go back here is that they need to establish that Peter needs his get-away-from-everything place. They did that in the other movies with the Empire State Building or the Chrysler Building, and they've suddenly got to just retroactively put in here, oh, Peter loves to come to the roof. I don't think that happened in the previous two movies. No. <laughs> yeah, this makes no sense to me that later on they're going to be like, where does he go when he needs mm. to get away from it? Who goes to school when they need to decompress? Nobody. No. And he's only here because his school is mobbed with people that everywhere he walks in the halls, they're shoving their cell phones in his face. So here's where he can almost kiss MJ. They kissed already. Like, it's worth pointing out. They've, they're in a committed relationship, but Ned is butting in as the third wheel. I think the biggest relationship development is Flash. Like, he likes Peter now because he's Spider-Man. Yeah. Jacob Batalon, Ned, good on him. He's lost over 100 pounds since No Way Home. But I think they had to CGI fatten him up for the scenes that took place right after No Way Home. Mm. It's only when he comes out on the roof that he's a lot thinner. Mm-hmm. 
All the stress, right? And again, the the joke is that MJ and Ned are connected enough with Peter that it hurts them. They won't get into MIT, whereas Flash, who's pretending to be the friend, does get in. Like, that's how you know whether you really were Peter's friend or not, whether MIT thinks you're an embarrassment. I guess I'm a friend of Peter. I didn't get into MIT. (laughs) Right, well. (laughs) I mean, I also didn't apply, so. (laughs) This is... Supposed to be, I think, November at this point, because the connection Peter's going to make is MJ has a job at a donut shop. And how is that not Duncan? It looked like it. I think that they might have even had in the works, along with Limu Emu and all the other things that they were going to (laughs) use to promote this in advertisements. Yeah, Duncan Donuts. There had to be a spider donut in the works. I don't (laughs) don't get that. But instead, it's just a random New York donut place. And I don't remember her working here before. Nope. But now she's got to take down the Halloween decorations after she opens the letter that says she's not going to her dream school. And it is kind of funny that the male witch in the Halloween decorations does look like Doctor Strange because he does have a stereotypical look. Isn't that Dracula? I thought those were vampires. Oh, is that? Oh, I thought it was a witch. The hat. It's got a hat, yeah. Dracula's not really known for headgear. I don't remember a hat. I I was looking at the string of lights of vampires. No, that was a string of lights. I thought it was of male witches because they all have little pointy hats on. I thought it was witches, yeah. Oh, okay. I only saw this movie once, and so I will defer to you if that was (laughs) witch lights and not Dracula lights. But the point is that, yes, suddenly we're thinking about spooky and horrific elements of the MCU And that's going to lead Peter to the Sanctum Sanctorum. And we're going through a lot of content quickly. We are only 20 minutes into this movie when Doctor Strange shows up. Is this place Hogwarts? Like, they have kids here shoveling snow. I don't remember this being a place where, like, tweens can come and learn magic. There are other sorcerers. Remember he went to that whole sorcerer school of camaraderie in the first film? There are still a lot of sorcerers being trained. I don't think that they're normally here. I think they're here for cleanup at this point. Yeah, Wong left the door open to a Siberian portal and the place is covered in ice. And I guess this is new information that Strange is not the Sorcerer Supreme anymore because he got blipped, so he got demoted? I guess that was decided upon during Endgame. And what it really came down to is somebody asked Kevin Feige, do you really want a male white person to take over the entire thing from over the Asians who have been there and away from the woman who ran it? And so for optics, yeah, let's make Wong the Sorcerer Supreme. Mm Mm-hmm. Plus, Wong needs something to do. This is his only moment here. He's going to be the naysayer when Strange is starting to think of spells that might be able to help Peter with his problem. Strange is acting strange in this movie. First of all, he is way too eager to jump immediately to a spell to help Peter out. And I know he says that he's done it for lesser reasons, like the party that Wong doesn't remember, but... It does seem rather odd to me that he would just instantly be like, yes, let me change the fabric of the universe for this teenager. Yeah, I agree. Like, this does not feel like the Stephen Strange that we have encountered previously or seen his journey in his film. Then the trailer came out and we found out it's Strange and he's going to cast a spell. I'm like, oh, this is just like a goofy, like, two-issue arc, like in the comics, where, like, you have a guest appearance by Stephen Strange. Like, it's not even going to be that important. It's it's not going to have any weight because whenever you have a crossover, it's just, yes, to do something goofy. And that's how this feels at the beginning. It's just like, Strange is going to walk in. Oh, yeah, sure, I'll cast you a spell. It's not really in character for me, but we got to have 
have this crossover, so let's just go with it. Has anyone gone back and rewatched Doctor Strange? I saw that once in theaters and never thought about it again. Yeah, not since Endgame when I rewatched everything. Yeah, I've rewatched it multiple times in theaters and at home because I keep doing marathons. Okay. Let me put you this way. I've never once been like, today I'm watching Doctor Strange and it's not part of a marathon. Mm-hmm. Well, here's my sadness is I think Cumberbatch is a good actor when I think about Sherlock. It's one of my favorite TV shows of all time. But every time he pops up in these franchises like Khan and... Doctor Strange, and I just don't like him. I find myself not liking him, and it's a strange feeling because I know I should, and do sometimes. I just want him to be British in all his roles because he cannot do it in an American accent. It's embarrassing at times, like when he's trying to pull it off, like, just make this strange British so he doesn't have to do this anymore. Yeah, he's kind of taking over the Tony role. Now that we don't have Robert Downey Jr., he's sort of the mentor that's a curmudgeon and Maybe wants to help, but is also chastising this kid all the time. Yeah, the, what the compromise they come up with is that there's this spell that will allow people to forget what they learn from the Teletron news break. And because Peter interrupts five times to make special exceptions with Ned, Aunt May, MJ, and Happy, that's why five villains are going to come into this realm. Oh, I didn't even put that math together of five and five. Yeah, I figured that out later. Like when I was going through my notes, I'm like, oh, he mentions five people he doesn't want to forget. I guess that's why it's five and not the sinister six. Yeah, that's the math that I saw happen. It started out being one spell and then he asked for four exceptions with these four different people. And because of that, if if he had asked for another exception, if he had asked for Flash, then I guess we would have gotten Mysterio or whatever else you guys wanted. But it looks like uh, Strange puts the spell in some kind of, like, paperweight or something. It's this geodesic cage and says, now I'm not going to give the spell to you. And why didn't you even request from the MIT board before you came to me? Why didn't Strange ask him if he made that request before doing this spell? Like, again, that Strange is off in this one. He is. I didn't like him in the beginning. To say he's off in this one is to say that he worked in others. And I have always found the only Doctor Strange for me is from the 1978 (laughs) TV movie. Well, I'll say this one feels inconsistent to the Strange we've seen in the MCU. His actions are illogical and that's going to continue. And I saw some rumors ahead of time. Apparently the way they framed certain shots of Doctor Strange next to a fireplace and everything is identical to some comic panels of Mephisto. We talked about Mephisto. This is the Mephisto, like, storyline. Like, that's what I couldn't believe. I'm like, oh, they're doing Mephisto, but it's strange instead. Who's Mephisto again? Just to explain to the layperson or to Stuart. Yeah. (laughs) In the comics, in Civil War, Peter Parker unmasked himself in front of the world. And then, because Joe Quesada, CEO of Marvel doesn't like Peter being married. Yeah. There was a comic story written called One More Day where Mephisto came and agreed to save Aunt May's life if he could unwrite history and Peter and Mary Jane were never married. And this is a devil-like character, so it's a deal with the devil. Well, I figure that part, but okay. So Mephisto is who actually made everybody forget that Peter Parker was Spider-Man, even though then in the new reality, what everybody thinks is it was Doctor Strange who did it. But the way Doctor Strange is so quick to jump to a spell and to 
disobey Wong and to do all of this. There was a lot of rumors going in that we were going to find out that Mephisto was behind this all along, but I think that would have overloaded this movie. You couldn't have a biggest bad. Yeah, and I'd also add, I mean, Arnie made the excellent point that they had to change some things about Doctor Strange because of the order that the movies are now coming out. So maybe they had original plans, and because they didn't have that previous Doctor Strange 2 to set it up, they just had to make him look like a jerk here. Like, he's just scolding a kid and slamming the door in his face. And yeah, Peter's like, okay, you're right. I should go find the assistant vice chancellor of MIT. She's in a car in a traffic jam on the way to the airport. I guess it's because Parker is in high school. He's still immature. He's growing. He's learning how to navigate this world. Like, do you go and stalk the admissions officer on the freeway to try to get into a school? That seems even creepier than maybe having murdered Mysterio. Perhaps, but... This is a very extenuating circumstance. He was not refused admission to MIT because of his grades, because of his lack of extracurricular activities. It was simply because he's basically like Amy Fisher, right? He's all over the news, and so nobody wants to touch him. Is And so I think in this kind of scenario, and you're a superhero, and... People wanted to touch Amy Fisher, just, just saying. <laughs> Joey Buttafuoco, for example. I do have to say that people really are siding against Spider-Man pretty quickly, given that he was critical in Thanos and bringing people back at the end. Yeah, he was, he's an Avenger, or was an Avenger. Yeah. I don't know if he still is, but... Yeah, the evidence against him is that, what, the drones were Stark Industries, and there's that footage that basically they've changed the audio, so it sounds like Spider-Man is saying he's executing Beck. And then his one ally that can that was supposedly in the background that can verify all of this was Nick Fury and Samuel Jackson. We found out in a in scene of, of the last movie is out in space hanging out with Captain Marvel. So he doesn't have a lot. I mean, again, like a lot of things in this world, people jump to conclusions very rapidly and there's evidence to support whatever position you want, because in the end, we don't like facts. We like to have judgment. Admittedly, the Avengers are scattered to the winds, but I think somebody should stand up and be like, hey, Spider-Man saved the world with us. Cut him a break, MIT. I mean, Cap's gone, Thor's gone, Iron Man's gone. Who, who, who do you got left? Like Hawkeye? Anyone going to believe Hawkeye? Captain America is there in the form of Sam Wilson. I don't know that he has the same clout. And he's, again, they've got other things that they're doing. They got their own shows. They got their own problems here. The fact that this boy wants to get an MIT doesn't feel like, uh, you know, a reason to stop the world and have the Avengers assemble. <laughs> All right. You got a point there. And I don't think he's doing it just for himself. I mean, what's kind of sweet is he's really feeling more guilt about denying Ned and MJ their opportunities. Oh, yeah. I definitely feel like he would give up his seat at MIT if MJ and Ned could get in. Like, totally. Yeah. In fact, when he's having this conversation... You know, after he's going to save her from falling off a bridge, the lady from MIT says, I'll talk to admissions about you and your friends. And he's like, no, no, not me. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for my friends. So, yeah, that's what we're supposed to play here is he's not being selfish. He's being selfless. He will take the hit of not going to MIT, but he wants his friends to get in. And they apparently will because 
not because of anything Peter does, but because at this moment, Dr. Otto Octavius shows up and decides to start a rampage on a bridge. So they're not drawn to Peter Parker somehow, right? Because I'm trying to figure out why Green Goblin shows up and Doc Ock shows up right here, but... I think so. The way I take it is that they are in some ways seeking out Peter slash Spider-Man, but they're still lost in the beliefs of their plots from the previous movie. It's said that Doc Ock is looking for his machine, which we know went to the bottom of the river. Yeah, he killed himself destroying that machine. Like, Right. He doesn't know, and none of these people know they're fated to die. It was like they were yanked right before the moment of their death, and they've still got that grudge against Spider-Man. The thing is, Electro and Sandman and Lizard don't find Spider-Man, but Doc Ock and Green Goblin do. So it is a little confusing as to, you know, I honestly think these two may have been looking for Spider-Man, whereas the others might not have been. Well, Doc Ock doesn't even know Norman's, like, he believes Norman Osborn is dead. Like, he's surprised when he shows up, even. I'm not saying they were looking for him together. Yeah, I'm just saying. They're all lost in their various movies. To Melina, he's still in Spider-Man 2, and it will be a shock to him. He'll tear a patch off the spider suit, and Tom Holland will have to use the nanobots to cover it and take away from his mask. Once he sees Tom Holland, he goes, you're not Peter. Kudos to the special effects wizards. We know they've been very good at de-aging characters from Michael Douglas to Robert Downey Jr. But here, Alfred Molina does not look like he's a CGI de-aged person. He just looks about the same as he did in Spider-Man 2. They did a great job with that. I am glad they updated the costume, though. Like, put a shirt on him. That old design in the Raimi one where he's got to run around shirtless, like, it was kind of silly. Mm-hmm. And I had forgotten. You probably didn't, Arnie, because you watched and loved the movie. But it's really not him that's the problem. It's the arms. Yes. The sentient arms have been infecting his mind. They suck up that patch of the suit. They eat the nanobots, thinking it will make them more powerful. This is actually what gives Tom Holland the upper hand. I will say, I got to credit, like, all these Marvel conspiracy people, like, oh, that rabbit, that's Mephisto and WandaVision. Like, usually they're wrong, and I just laugh at them. But I remember the trailer came out for this, and people really zoned in. They're like, oh, look at Doc Ock's arms. It looks like it's Stark Tech. I'm like, come on, it's just a redesign. Stop overanalyzing everything. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) But they were right this time. It is Stark Tech on those arms. Mm -hmm. They're Spider-Man colors. I like that he had to do Bluetooth pairing. (laughs) Like, he had to pair the device and then he could control the arms. And that really shows the impotence of Alfred Molina as a bad guy when he doesn't have giant robot arms. He's trying to punch you. Yeah, he's not a bad guy. And again, watching that Spider-Man 2 again, it made me remember that they were great friends before those arms took over his mind. And so that is sort of the interesting relationship. I guess maybe that's true of all the villains in the... Raimi verse. Well, no, uh, yeah, I was going to say, Stuart, rewatching all those, like, Parker doesn't have a father. Ben dies. That was his father figure. And then all right. the villains are his father figure. And I thought that was super interesting watching it this time. Like, it's something I really got into. And I don't know if Holland has had that. Like, I feel like this is the Holland Spider Man origin story that we have not gotten yet. Well, because he had Tony, he didn't need, he had the Avengers and he had Tony. So he didn't need Uncle Ben and all of that. But this is the movie where he goes from Spider-Boy to Spider-Man. So there will be a rite of passage. And yeah, so in this moment, he is one. Doc Ock is 
impotent and Spider-Man can control those arms and MIT is saying, you're a hero and I'm going to talk to the board. It all seems to be good, except the villains keep coming. Goblin, you say that this is Defoe, but I was wondering. I was like, is it Franco? I wondered if Franco would show up, but I don't think Hollywood's hiring him anymore. Oh, that's right. He's been canceled, huh? Uh, Did he get canceled too? I mean, again, I can't keep track. Yeah. Okay. All right. This is the story now. Yes. But I did wonder if he might show up or not. I think it is just a little too hot button to bring into this movie. But before a good fight can break out, which I was expecting here, Doctor Strange teleports Peter home and Doctor Strange has been out fishing on his own. He's got a lizard. Yeah, nobody cares about Lizard, right? Ricey Fonz. Does that actor even show up? I feel like he's Lizard the entire time. Yeah, it's pathetic. This, and again, a real problem I had with Amazing Spider-Man, the first one. Yeah, that is the problem with that Amazing Spider-Man. It's almost great, but it's got an awful villain. They have turned him into comic relief now, though. Yeah. He's like, they're making jokes about, I can help you by turning me into a lizard. Maybe... I mean, mean, they even make a joke that he could talk. Like, yeah, it's a talking lizard. And I guess he did talk before in lizard form. Yeah, but I think that they've embraced the ridiculousness of the lizard. And Rise Ivans, maybe they didn't want to pay him for a full on-set appearance. Maybe he was busy. But he's going to be in lizard form for 99.9% of his screen time. No, I think he probably was here with dots on him. I mean, I'm imagining that's him giving the CGI performance. Oh, it doesn't even look like a mocap performance to me. No, it doesn't to me either. And if you think about that scene when you finally see him in human form at the end, he's not in frame with anyone. You're not even getting a full body shot. You're getting this angelic close-up only of his face. I don't think he was there. I think he was in a sound booth. And whether he's here or not, I don't want him. Like, the Lizard, (laughs) I'm glad he's already caught. I'm glad that we don't have to have a big battle to get him imprisoned. Not my villain. Even in the Spider-Man pantheon of villains, I feel like he's lower. If it wasn't for Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man number one and that five-issue arc, Torment, I think Lizard would be far lower than he is. But he's been elevated thanks to that inclusion. Mm -hmm. But at this point, Doctor Strange has his magic box. And he has the way to send everybody home. But he tells Peter, you have to go round these people up. Why does Peter have to go round these people up? Yeah, why not magic them into the booth like they did with Doc Ock and Lizard? Uh, You know what? You can ask the question. It's fair enough. But the point is, we got to make it about collecting them in these cages. Yeah, I will say this film is really clumsy when it comes to just some of these logistics. Like, look, people are going to be happy Toby and Andrew are back, or I guess just Toby is back. Like, we don't need to figure out all these logistics. I'm happy Andrew's back. I am too, but... Oh, the audience was happy for both. Yeah, I heard applause for all the people. But I I think most people wanted just Toby. Like, they would have been happy with Toby. Yeah. The thing is, what we end up getting is about 20 minutes of what sort of feels a little bit Bill and Ted. And it's kind of like Green Goblin's The Napoleon. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good comparative. I agree with that. I mean, I think Cumberbatch even speaks to that when he screams Scooby-Doo this shit. I mean, like, we know that this is just a cartoon plot that, okay, if you need MJ and Ned to do this because we like to see those three together and not because Spider-Man actually needs them. Well, okay. Yeah, I, I got questions about Ned's abilities later on in this film. Like, it's crazy. Like strange why'd you practice so much you don't need to (laughs) well he's still the man in the chair here they're going to be at the laptop in the undercroft which is essentially a laundry room (laughs) where 
Pilates reformers look like torture racks. Oh my god, I loved that he uses just for men beard dye. Yeah. <laughs> that had me cracking up both times. And that Ned is so excited to be in the undercraft when, you know, the laundry machine is buzzing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's one of those old exercise bikes that has the fan blades on it. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's a rumor that somebody has attacked uh, a research facility on the outskirts of New York, and Octavius knows that's Norman. And so Spider-Man goes to check it out. I should have seen this setup coming. He's webbing on giant power lines, but I just wasn't even thinking about Jamie Foxx. I didn't know he was coming back in this. <laughs> really? He was He was in the trailer, but you don't yeah. watch the trailers. I was not into this movie. If I saw the trailer, I was looking at other things. I wasn't feeling this movie. I mean, he's pretty prominent in the trailer. You must have really been like looking down at your phone or something. <laughs> I really was. Again, or I just forgot what I saw in the trailer because I just it wasn't important to try and anticipate what was going to happen in this movie. I did wonder, like, are they bringing in the same versions? Because I did see that trailer and, like, they have a flash of that classic comic book electro silly mask. Like, um, this is not the blue Jamie Foxx. I'm like, maybe this is just a different version of electro because they're embarrassed by that one. If Jamie Foxx put on the, like, with the lightning bolts pointing off like he's got a star face or whatever. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, from the cartoon way (laughs) back. Yeah, that would be something. (laughs) They did that, though. They put electricity around his face in that pattern a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, it, they flash it for a few frames. Oh, is that the... Yes. Oh, how funny. I never thought about the cartoon Electro, but who is my Electro? When you say Electro, that's always <laughs> what I'm going to think of here. I laugh at the postmodern of it because he's going to be like, there's a different energy here. I'm like, yeah, you don't have to do the stupid shit that you did in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, he is not doing the nerd thing. Like, he is a totally different character now. Yeah, he doesn't have the comb over and the hair that's going to be called out. Speaking of outfits, Spider-Man is in a black and gold outfit here. Somebody threw paint on his red and black outfit and the nano suit is missing a part. So he had to turn his suit inside out and it just happened to have this really cool pattern underneath. Or something that they can sell, you know, as a toy. Yeah, yeah. toys. I mean, this Spider-Man has had, re-watching all of the Spider-Man, like this one has so many costume changes in this trilogy. He really is the new Iron Man in that they can sell so many action figures because he's had so many suits. But this one... I remember them calling it his magic suit because he has that wristband Dr. Strange gave him that would magic people back. And they thought this was like a sorcery suit. No, it's just the regular suit turned inside out. If you close up, you can see some unhemmed threads and some wires. All right, so help me out. Electro, I think, improvement. Okay, I like this version better than what I saw in Amazing 2. Yeah. But what's going on with Sandman? I feel like Flint Marco is a totally different character in this film. I Spider-Man 3, like, teary-eyed, thinking Peter. They reconciled. He's a good guy again. Not this... Like, nope, he's just bad now. Well, he is trying to help him here. He is trying, like, he comes up and he, he, like, protects him from the lightning bolts at first. Yeah, he he helps him until he realizes it's not Tobey Maguire. Right. Here's what I would take it as. The first time I saw it, I really liked it because Sandman was a reluctant villain Mm -hmm. in that movie. He was almost a sympathetic character, you know, one of those misunderstood monsters. He never wanted sand powers. All he, he never wanted to kill Uncle Ben. He had that sick daughter who's, yeah. especially with the extended scenes, the daughter's probably dead at this point. I don't think he ever got the daughter the money or anything. So she's probably dead, but- And Sandman didn't die in Spider-Man 3, right? No, he just blew away. 
Yeah, so this is, I guess, Peter killed him later. Or not everyone died. The lizard didn't die either, if you remember. That's what they told us, though. It's if Peter killed them, like, that's the big dilemma later on. Do we just send them back to their deaths? I think only three of the five would be going back to their death. Because even the lizard goes, Max, did Spider-Man kill me? No, (laughs) the lizard just ended up in a jail cell. So they could have brought back any of the other villains. And I think I hear Sandman say, I don't mind going back. I want to see my daughter. I think that there is disagreement among the villains as to what they should do. Exactly. Yeah, I don't understand his turn later on because I feel like he really wants to get to that daughter. That's always been his thing. Like he would help Peter if that's what Peter is going to do for him. See, I think he'd be almost what you'd call, is it chaotic good or lawful evil or something like that in the D&D lore? Because he doesn't care if the others have to die. He's not a good guy. He thought he owed Tobey Maguire a debt, Mm -hmm. and so he tried to protect Spider-Man. But he's not going to trust just anybody under a Spider-Man mask. He is a criminal. He is out for himself. And all he wants is to get back to his daughter. And if three others have to die for him to get back to his daughter, he doesn't care. Push the damn button and send me home to my daughter. I think everyone would have preferred if it were Venom and not Sandman. I think it would have obviously upped the stakes to have a real villain as opposed to this Again, even in Spider-Man 3, he was kind of stupid. I mean, Sandman is so iconic, though, but I I do agree. Like, I don't feel like, having just recently watched Spider-Man 3, like, this is not the same Flint Marco to me. My thing is, I feel like Lizard and Sandman are afterthoughts here. I don't think the actors are here. Sandman stays in CGI Sandy. I mean, they were the first two to sign on. Yeah, we don't need to worry about... Hayden or yeah Lizard like we'll get them no problems they need the work no Thomas Hayden Church is on an HBO show I think it's called Divorced or something they canceled it yeah you think it's called because no one's watching it Yeah, I mean, he's worked some. He was in the recent Hellboy briefly, and he's a character actor. He is someone that is not getting lead roles and big paychecks when he appears in things. I mean, I think he's still living off those Wings reruns. But because the actors aren't here and they had interviews with the villains and it was always Jamie Foxx was the most available, followed by Alfred Molina and then Willem Dafoe. The other two never showed up in press stuff. They don't even get title cards at the end of this. I think we're not supposed to think too much about Lizard and Sandman and what their motivations are and aren't. Mm -hmm. And they're the two who don't die in their movies. The three who die are Green Goblin, Doc Ock, and Electro. And so they're the three we're going to focus on the most. I mean, Sandman barely even gets thrown in a cage. It's just because he starts to lose his temper that he's put in a cage. The real one to focus on the actor who would only come back if promised it would not be a cameo and he could do most of his own stunts willem dafoe yeah that let's be honest truly the only thing that i think fans really care about is goblin and ock like the other three are icing on the cake but they were in the less popular movies these are the villains that mattered in the movies that people loved. Jamie Foxx is a big actor, though. A lot of people like him. And he's good in this. I yes. mean, they've improved him from Amazing 2 a lot. A lot. And so I think you come to care about him because of that. He makes himself a good presence. And he's the second most malevolent. You know, Green Goblin is going to be the biggest evil 
Electro is right there as the second biggest evil. Doc Ock, it just depends on his chip status at the moment. Lizard and Sandman are like, whatever. Well, Defoe, again, you say the most evil, but I really, it's the Goblin that's evil, and Norman is not. And at the beginning, when we see him here, I don't know why he's crashed. Like, Spider-Man never had that fight. He never got out to the chemical company that reported a flying monster. But Defoe is just in an alley having a fight with his Mighty Morphin Power Rangers mask and does what everyone wanted him to do with it. Destroyed it. I knew that they would have to walk away from that. I'm glad they showed him in it once and really kept to it instead of just trying to shun the Power rangers ish of it all. <laughs> but yes, smashing that mask and calling back to one of the best scenes in any Spider-Man movie, Defoe's monologue with Defoe, all for you, Norman, all for you. Oh, I'm telling you, Defoe is one of the standout performances. It's so full of camp, but it is fun, it's large, and so I'm excited that he's back. Yeah, but to have the conversation with his own mask again, like he did before, I'm really enjoying that. But yes, we've got, quote unquote, weak Norman in control right now. Yeah, I feel for him seeing him homeless. And again, it's hard to hate any of the villains. That's actually going to be the crux of the middle of this movie is that Peter's going to have a lot of empathy for these supposed terrible people when in fact they're just damaged and maybe they can be fixed. Here, Norman voluntarily turns himself in. He sees Spider-Man on the ads for the soup kitchen. We saw that all being set up in the second movie, Far From Home. And now, yeah, Peter's got to think about what to do with this supposedly awful goblin. And I'm glad they brought in the feast shelter. You know, in the last movie, we saw Aunt May working with Salvation Army and the Red Cross and things. But the feast charity is one that's pretty big from the comics. So I kind of liked its inclusion here. And what's interesting with... Osborne here is he's been looking for Oscorp. There is no Oscorp. Like in the MCU, we can't have Green Goblin. We can't have Oscorp. That doesn't exist, I guess. Tom Holland has never fought Goblin. That is the interest. The other two have seen versions of it, but he has not. That's like Batman never fight fighting Joker. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But that's maybe why he can ha- extend empathy. Is like, no, you haven't hurt anybody yet. It's going to happen. It will be Goblin that really does take a life out of Tom Holland's orbit. But at this point, he can be sympathetic and, yeah, just tries to walk him to the Santorum to to see if we can negotiate this. And I love that at the shelter, Norman just so happens to get, like, a green sweatshirt and a purple hoodie so that he can wear something that kind of looks like the comic outfit for Green Goblin (laughs) at the end. Mm -hmm. And you say it's Peter who's fighting empathy, but I feel like that's all being pushed by May. Right. Like, she's the one sending them home isn't the help they need. Like, they need to be cured. Right. Later on, they're going to say, let's cure their ass, not kick their ass. This is about rehabilitation. Yeah, that's an interesting stance to have. And I love that it gives Aunt May an influence like Uncle Ben. Yeah, because, again, I'm, I'm trying to think about the Holland Spider-Man. I don't remember Uncle Ben ever being mentioned. Like, none of that. It's just there's an Aunt May. They didn't need to. Again, it was Stark. Stark was Uncle Ben. Losing Stark was losing Uncle Ben. I noticed a line in Homecoming this time when Peter is explaining why he has to keep Spider-Man a secret. And he says, I can't tell May after all that she's been through. It's implied that, like, she's a widow recently. But, yeah, they never talk about Uncle Ben or any of that. Yeah, Aunt May, though, is going to be the moral force in this one. She is taking that Uncle Ben role for this Tom Holland Spider-Man. And it's good to give Marissa Tomei something to do. She's a good actress. I feel like she had a fun part in Civil War and then a 
functionary part in Homecoming. In Far From Home, they tried to find something to do with her. They had to make her have a romance with Jon Favreau just to have her reason for her to be around. Here, they're making her integral to the plot, and they're also making her functional to the development of the character. Yeah, we're going to have Aunt May be the Uncle Ben of this universe. And they're making Stephen Strange the problem here. If there's a villain, it's the fact that he wants to hit the button on his magic box too fast, and we got to have a big fight over it in the mirror dimension. I forgot about this thing. And why does he do it? To trap him in... Yeah, so they can't affect the outside world. He's trapping him in the mirror dimension so they could fight without repercussions, I guess. I mean, Spider-Man could escape him in the real world. Spider-Man was ready to swing off. And what Stranger's entire thing here is containment. Stop him from going away. I really love the moment where Strange knocks Peter out of his body. And Strange still can't get the box, though, because the spider sense has the body still moving is that what it is i like i kept waiting for a reason to be given that the spider-man suit could still function without the soul in it but i'm pretty sure it's the peter tangle Mm -hmm. but no i do like some of the choreography or staging for this fight like peter will swing and strange will open a portal and then create another one behind peter so he swings and just keeps ending up in the same place like that was always the appeal to the doctor strange film like a lot of neat visuals and you get that in this little fight scene here And it also allows us to see a little bit of New York. This is where we got that Christmas music. They end up in a shopping mall and like they're playing carols or whatever. And eventually they end up on the subway above the Grand Canyon, maybe. That's where Strange says he got webbed up. And help me with this one. Peter wins this fight because he can see in the illusions mathematical computations and thus math is cooler than magic he can turn it all against strange yeah he's able to place webs where strange will be okay instead of trying to web strange where he is and so he gets strange completely tied up steals the magic box steals the sling ring Mm -hmm. so that strange can't cast any more portals yeah now strange is out of the picture at the one hour mark there's an hour and a half where we're going to be without the adult presence And this is where we bring in the fabricator. This is where Peter thinks that, okay, I alone can come up with the science and the math that is going to fix all of these problems. How arrogant, really. I got (laughs) to say, these are all five scientists, right, that he's trying to help that must have had their own thoughts about what went wrong. Max is an electrician. I mean, he designed a grid, but he's not exactly a scientist. And Sandman is just a thief. Okay. Sandman agreed, wouldn't be able to help out much. I don't feel like they really want to help except for maybe Osborne because he's subdued the goblin for this time. And I do love that line. I am a bit of a scientist myself, you know, (laughs) calling back to that exact line from the first Spider-Man film. That got a big cheer from the audience. Yeah, Peter doesn't need to go to MIT if he can actually come up with cures that are corrective. I want to know what he's actually coming up with, because this fabricator, this is like Star Trek shit to me. Like It's cheating. Oh, we just plug something in and it's going to make it. Yeah, it's a way of saying we don't have this in the plot to figure out. So we just have a magic device that makes everything right. But yeah, this is where we learn that Octavius isn't bad inherently. It is those arms. Peter's going to rebuild that inhibitor chip and place it back on there. And now Ock is all ready to help. But some of them don't want to be. And again, this is where I really like Electro is that they rehab the arc. Yeah, is that an arc reactor they stick on him to suck up the electricity? An anti-arc reactor, basically. Instead of giving power, it's absorbing power. 
Yeah, and he's got a couple minutes there to sit there and think, I like this world. I don't have to do the stupid things I did in Amazing Spider-Man 2 in the MCU. I could actually be a cool villain here. I think I want to stay. And I get why he joins the mutiny. What does Goblin grab? There's a moment where he comes at Peter and he gets his hand webbed. And I can't tell what Defoe was about to do. I couldn't tell. And I saw this movie twice. When he's getting webbed up, I just thought he got webbed because Peter had sensed danger. But there wasn't an immediate danger. It wasn't like the Goblin was about to stab somebody. It's that he was going to cause problems, though. And so Peter just webbed his hand as identifying the source of the danger he's sensing. Oh, I literally thought it was a knife or something like that. But at at any rate, yes, this is where we see that it isn't Norman. That he still, despite the mask being gone, still has those Goblin thoughts and doesn't want to be cured. And the cure doesn't work, too. It should be said that they do, like, inject him. He goes and grabs it. And for whatever reason, Peter didn't get it right. And why does Sandman join them? Because I feel like he would help Peter because he just wants to go home. This is risking the possibility of going home. If Sandman just cares about that daughter, that's what he told us while they're hanging out at Happy's apartment here. Sandman and Lizard don't do much. Lizard stayed in the van anyway. He has so little to do. That when the others were up in Happy's apartment getting fixed, all Sandman does is create a sandstorm and gets the hell out. He's like, screw all y'all and leaves. He doesn't attack anybody. He just goes away. And Electro pretty much goes away too. He rips off his thing, but he's not after Peter. Yeah, I feel like they all leave except Goblin. No, they want to enjoy their lives in this new environment is the way I take it. The lesson I take is don't ask about Sandman or Lizard. (laughs) I don't know why they're doing anything that they're doing. It feels like Sandman, they give him clear-cut motivations with that daughter. Like, it it should have defined the character more. But you're right. They don't really care about him. Who cares about Sandman? Who cares about Lizard? I didn't in their own movies, and I don't now. And for reasons, Lizard is running around when the DODC arrives, and... Yeah, J. Jonah Jameson cares because he's got a spy that's been following Peter around and figuring out what's going on. And is he the one that, like, calls the SWAT team in? Yeah, he called the SWAT team, so they were already on their way even before this disaster happened. Blame's a hard thing to pin on, but I think they always want to make J. Jonah Jameson part of the evil, corrosive public opinion problem, you know, like because he always wants to define Spider-Man in purely negative terms. It's created the environment in which May is going to be killed. But Defoe here is wonderfully fun, evil, screaming about, you know, his kind of mantra about how you have all the power for what you want, but you don't have the bravery to take it. And, you know, kind of similar dogma to what he was selling in the very first Spider-Man movie in 02. And even though I'd read that track name off of that soundtrack, I was a little bit shocked when that glider comes flying into the building and takes out May. It could have been another May, right? We could have had three May showing up in this film. They all know who Spider-Man was, I think. Hmm. Yeah, you know what? You had told me someone major was going to die. I wasn't really thinking about it by this point. But when the grenade goes off and we see her pretending that she's okay, I'm like, oh, right. This makes a lot of sense that we take her out now. This is the right moment. Yeah, not only take her out, but she's going to give the Uncle Ben speech. Right. Yes. Let's face it. Tom Holland is about to go off to college and be a man and she wouldn't be his protector and guardian. She is essentially done raising him. And so we need parting words. And what I'm realizing, part of my disconnect with Tom Holland as Spider-Man is, yeah, there are certain things that 
are necessary to define this character and and rewatching all of them I'm like you got to have this personal tragedy and this lesson and Holland has never you could say maybe Tony Stark tried to teach him something but I never felt like we got that sorrow that I feel Spider-Man is burdened with mm-hmm. and like oh now they're doing it and now I feel myself connecting with him more sorrow and guilt yeah those are what define Spider-Man to me you know right always the remorse of the things he didn't do and here he is he could have pushed that button he could have sent them back dr strange is probably right when you're talking about an infinite number of lives in a multiverse what are three or five in the scope of things not only that but like sending them back fixed is going to change i mean i think that's the reason why things are going to go kaflui they're not villains anymore. It will change those realities and maybe for a dramatically bad impact. And so really, yes, if you look at this at the butterfly effect, Norman is going to say this at the end. I caused the wound, but you killed her. Your actions killed May. And yeah, that's not untrue. I mean, again, how people come to accept responsibility. It's a little victim blaming. Yeah, I think that there's lots of ways to look at this, but I can understand why from this point forward, Tom Holland's Spider-Man is filled with rage towards Goblin. Goblin was the one that taught him to be empathetic through May and like, we need to help. And now Goblin must die. I'm not going to send them back because I have to kill this guy first. And that's a new turn for Tom Holland. He's never been that vicious. And he'd probably push the button right then, except he gave it to MJ and Ned and sent them away. And at the 90 minute mark, Spider-Man is going to step out of the Spider-Man movie. And we're not going to see Tom Holland again for a while. Again, great calculus here. If you're thinking about when to bring people back and how to make that work. Yes, we have left Tom Holland at his absolute lowest. He's going to go mope, apparently, at the top of the school. Who knew that that was his favorite place? (laughs) Oh my god, that frustrates the shit out of me. (laughs) But anyway, the point is that that's exactly right. We are at this dark moment. Oh my god, they killed May. It was a sad moment. I heard the sniffles. People were crying. The guy who showed up in the pajama pants was bawling about Aunt May. Bawling. Uh, sure. Just very sure. loud. No. <laughs> Sobs. It was an impactful moment. And then let's bring him back. Let's give him one of the great, like, who knew that people were going to cheer? This has to be the first time Andrew Garfield ever got a standing <laughs> ovation for being Spider-Man. <laughs> Ned. So he's just a sorcerer. Like, he's just able to create these portals. Bring us back, Peter. Like, Strange had to be abandoned like in the Himalayas to like force him to figure this out. Like Ned's just doing it. Earlier on, when Ned met Stephen Strange, he said, how do you know you were a wizard? Because I get these tingles in my fingers and my grandma says I'm magic and Dr. Strange. I think that's diabetes on Ned's part. (laughs) Yeah, I know. He gets the, you should speak to your local physician. But I think what we're told is that Ned has some innate ability that could be honed. He could be maybe a Sorcerer Supreme with Wong someday. Yes. Because it did take Dr. Strange like 30 minutes of his movie to learn to open this portal. And Ned, he's moving the wrong hand. You're supposed to be moving that other hand around and it's only when he accidentally moves the other hand that it opens the portals the way he wants but yes you see spider-man in the distance there you don't realize who it is my crowd cheered so loud when andrew garfield walked in and took his mask off 
Wow, Garfield got it. See, I'm stuck in a car to drive in, so I don't know how other people are reacting. But okay, that's interesting to hear that Garfield got all oh, big, 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 okay. big. They were they even before because it was that anticipation. We see the silhouette, and we're like, yeah, who's it going to be? Which one? Who or or will it even be like a Fulia kind of thing? And yeah, Andrew Garfield brings the house down. Probably never happened <laughs> before. And I do love like it is. A quieter entrance. It's not like this big heroic thing. He kind of just like moseys on in through this portal. And yeah, it is a somber time because of the events that just happened. And I'm glad they didn't go for these big heroics, that they're keeping it somber and and low key. Not very somber. They're throwing rolls at him and Ned's grandmother's asking him to get a cobweb out of the corner. I think they're immediately going to jokes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They got to throw those jokes in. But it does feel weighty. I Look, I went into this... Pretty cynical, because we already have a perfect Spider-Verse movie. Like, I don't need this. I got that cartoon. I can't wait for the sequel. Like, excited for that. And then the Ghostbusters Afterlife thing. I'm like, come on. You're just cashing in on nostalgia. But I am impressed, like... That goes away because I thought they were going to show up for three minutes. They're going to lay out some wisdom and then go back on their way. I'm with you. I'm impressed with what they actually do. Like they overcame my cynicism. Agreed. Let's talk about this. Because yes, Andrew Garfield shows up in the spider suit, ready to do whatever, is literally degrading himself, crawling on the ceiling. (laughs) That's kind of how I think of him. But Tobey Maguire doing this, the fact that he shows up, yes, dressed as the cool youth pastor. (laughs) Huge cheers. Bigger than Andrew Garfield. Like, I didn't know that the crowd I was with could woo louder (laughs) than they did for Andrew Garfield. But they did when Tobey Maguire showed up. And yes, he doesn't have to unmask. He's not looking quite like he did in Spider-Man 3. He's gotten older. Yeah, here's the thing. Toby's our age. I didn't realize that because I just associate him with that 2002 movie. Like, he'll always be 20-something. And I'm he walks in. I'm like, oh, oh, Spider-Man got old. But I will say, like, even though I'm at the drive-in, people were honking their horns when Toby showed up. But here's the thing. You see him and he's not ready to play. Like, he looks exactly like what I think Toby McGuire's enthusiasm would be <laughs> about coming back to this part. Like, okay, I'll walk in here and, and shoot an organic web shooter and then I'm done right like it doesn't feel like he's committed until he like lowers that t-shirt down and you see he's wearing the suit underneath and it's like oh cool i was happy i was like oh good they're all gonna do it i wasn't sure this was going to be anything more than him dispensing pearls of wisdom and then going back to whatever he was going to doing before No part of me thought he wouldn't mask up when he came in. Okay. I don't know. He's looking like so unimpressed to be here wearing those regular clothes. Yeah, they fooled me. I thought he looked like he was not going to wear the suit. I am not doing this. I will give you five minutes and then it's back to the poker table. (laughs) No part of me thought these three Spider-Men weren't going to fight at the end. And how much did he really do? Probably not much. You know, much like Sandman and Lizard. Once the masks come down, I think it's all CGI anyway. But again, it made me happy. I mean, I was happy that we were getting that movie. I didn't think we were going to get that movie. I didn't think it was going to be a team-up, per se. And so... Yes, that they can come and be the emotional support for Tom Holland on the rooftop, talk about their own loss. This feels right. This feels like the way you would make the climax of this film. And I have to ask, I know we always relate things to the times we're living in when we see them, but this was done like 
look, we're still in the pandemic, but kind of after the the hysteria, the peak part of it, I do feel like this is about, yeah, let's mourning those who lost. Let's let's learn about forgiveness, like all that crazy stuff we've gone over the last few years w- with this world, like can we heal? And I feel like that's kind of the core of this film is like, can we heal from all this craziness that's going on? It was filmed October 2020 to March 2021. Okay, so that got to be on their mind. And for me, here's the question I'm left with. Yes, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are back. Three Spider-Men sharing one screen. It's Tom Holland's movie. I guess it's good to always leave the audience wanting more, but I want more with these guys. I want to know even more than they're giving us. They do so much with the time they have, but it's just... Man, it makes me say, okay, completely Spider-Man shared universe it up. Make Amazing Spider-Man 3 with Spider-Man 4 with Tom Holland Spider-Man 4. Make them all, all the time, because I want to know more about what's happening with these Spider-Men. Yeah, I will say it's a disappointment because all of a sudden, like, I've changed. Like, cynicism has kind of gone away. Like, I want Toby and Andrew to, like, drop lines about, like, what did they do? Like, what was the potential Spider-Man 4? What was Amazing Spider-Man 3? Like, bring up, like, yeah, they're going to talk about their hurt backs, but I... You guys stop. They give an enormous amount of floor space to them talking about what they're doing now. We find out McGuire is still with MJ, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. They've made it work. And yeah, we have this... Like, literally, someone shouts out, like, at the screen, I can't believe, is this real? Am I watching this when Garfield is helping him get over his back injury by, like, (laughs) tugging him there? And that is such a double joke, because remember, McGuire was almost fired from part two, claiming his back wouldn't let him do it. Yeah, right, of course. Yeah, there's a lot of this. There's a lot of postmodern riffing in this moment. I get that. I wanted to know more like what was going on in the world. I like the moment where Garfield is like, yeah, I lost my MJ and I was overcome with anger and rage and I stopped pulling my punches. Like he's so good in that. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, I wanted to know, like, who else did he kill? Because we needed number six in this. Yeah, he was so good in that scene, welling up and everything. And you know what? That was a sad moment in those movies when Gwen Stacy died. And for him to bring all that pathos and give that emotion to that scene in this movie, he didn't have to go there. Andrew Garfield went there. Yeah, no, because he's a really good actor. Yeah, he's and, a good actor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and he was the emo Spider-Man. Of all of them, yes, you're right. Spider-Man is always lonely and sad, but I think he was the most. He was the most in touch with his introverted side. And so, again, I think every moment is is gold when they're talking to each other, but I would not want more of this. That would be a huge mistake to suddenly stop the movie and the climax to say, we're just going to find out about 20 years of their lives. No, we get enough. We get absolutely the perfect amount of their lives. Oh, I didn't want a full recap. I wanted a couple of lines, like just as a winking joke. And I'm stuck here as an ultimate fanboy who wants this and also as somebody who understands film and pacing and balance and you can't do this. And so what I want would be toxic to this film, but yet I still want it for more fan service than I'm getting. But... Instead, we're just going to be like, point out the fact that since Tobey Maguire claimed the Chrysler building, Andrew Garfield had to take Empire State. Where would 
Tom Holland go? One World Trade Center? Yeah, Freedom Tower? <laughs> no, no. He goes to school, which I didn't even recognize this roof. It's the only roof he's been on this whole film, so I'm like, is that the school's roof? But even more incredulous is everything that they need to cure the various villains is in the high school lab. Like, they can just literally go downstairs and get the compounds that are lying around. He's not in a public school. He is in a special school for science students. True. Yeah, it's a a science magnet. (laughs) Okay. I I agree, Stuart. Like, it's silly. They're going to have all this stuff. But I think the power is, now it's not just one super smart Spider-Man. It's all three of them. And look, I thought we were going to get that meme of all the Spider-Mans pointing to each other. I feel like (laughs) we do get, like, a winking nod to it during the science scene where all three of them are on screen kind of pointing like you know around but me him who yeah (laughs) you know they kind of recreated that meme and the fact that they each had their expertise because andrew garfield admittedly it was gwen stacy who came up with the cure for the lizard yeah she should have really been like make her spider gwen like she's so much smarter than andrew garfield peter parker he was number two at midtown she was number one okay yeah and we get toby mcguire saying he's had 20 years to think about how he could have cured osborne so, you know, at least now we don't just have Tom Holland doing everything because he's uh, Marty Sue, you know, we at least we have them curing the people they should be focused on. Although I don't know why they're bothering to cure Sandman. <laughs> Sandman's fine. He's not going to die. You're just taking away his cool power. I don't know if that's a cool power. <laughs> yeah, again, they could have made it Venom. They have a moment here where they ask about who was your weirdest foe, and Toby McGuire says that Venom is his. Yeah, I do like Toby and Holland. They got to both fight aliens. Andrew's jealous about that, but they keep trading stories about who, like, oh, you got wizards in this universe. You got magic. Like, yeah. Russian guy in a rhinoceros machine. I'm lame. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then the fact that they go to him, but you're amazing. Yeah. Because he was in the amazing films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they try to cheer him up, but he knows. <laughs> he knows what his status is. I think this is just right. I mean, again, what they realize is that, yeah, this loner character gets to have brothers. And even though it's for this moment, and even though you wish you could watch five more movies with them as this super team, it's just this special moment. That's all it's ever going to be. And Andrew Garfield's so wonderfully awkward when he hugs them. I love you guys. And they're just like... Thanks. <laughs> and so the Statue of Liberty is now being turned into Captain America? Yeah, it's not the regular Statue of Liberty, right? No, it is. Is it? Yes, they have changed it. No, that's what I'm saying. It's not the regular Statue of Liberty that we know. Well, it's the regular Statue of Liberty we know, and someone said, wouldn't it be better if we give her Cap shield? Oh, okay. Hold on, I'm validating something. Yeah, it looks slightly different to me, so I thought it was some rebuild after Thanos. They talked about a redesign. I had to look. I thought, was the Statue of Liberty destroyed during one of the battles? Like, during the blip or something? I assume that that is the reason why you'd work on it. But no, it's apparently been there throughout the blip and everything, and they're just redesigning it to help honor the heroes who brought back half the world. And this is where Tom Holland is going to... Have an interview with the Daily Bugle. He's actually going to let J. Jonah Jameson interview him just so that he can send the signal out that this is where I am and this is where we need to have the climax. He's threatening to push that button, and which would kill them all if they don't show up or kill three of them. The other two aren't quite sure what'll happen to them. They're going to come anyway, but yes, some of them have more motivation than others. And it's kind of three on three at first. We have the three Spider-Men versus Electro 
Lizard, and Sandman. And and I do really like this moment. Yeah, they'll start fighting them, and they just can't get the upper hand, the Spider-Man. And it's because they never fought in a team, Toby and Andrew. Like, I do like this moment. They got to go to Holland, who, who was an Avenger, even though they don't know what Avengers are. <laughs> are you in a band? <laughs> I'll say this, though. During these scenes, I feel that they've done some tweaks to the Raimi suit and the Andrew Garfield suit where Raimi's suit had really raised webbing Mm -hmm. and it's not as raised here and the Garfield suit had a super long spider. I mean, Andrew Garfield's a tall man and they really made that spider long in those movies. It's not as long here. And then they got Tom Holland in the gold and red suit but sometimes in the lighting and things I had trouble telling which Spider-Man was who And if they'd kept a little bit more of the extremism to those other two suits, I think that would have helped me differentiate. The second time I saw the film, though, I got better. And by the fifth or sixth time I've seen this film in theaters, I'll have it down. (laughs) You'll know. (laughs) I I guess we know where you're going. Back to theaters. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, I figured. I knew from the audience of the crowd. I mean, again, that tells me anyone that's ever loved the previous Spider-Man movies is really having a great time watching this powwow come together it really doesn't matter that you can't keep track of who's who no it's not really even about the fighting it's really about the camaraderie and they even bring mj and ned in here because they've opened a portal and then ned's not skillful enough to close it lizard runs into the high school and chases them onto the scaffolding as well is this giving Ned and MJ something to do, or is this giving Lizard something to do? <laughs> uh, kind of both. I mean, they definitely are not the main story. I would just put it that way. And Doc Ock, I think I anticipated this one. He got fixed, so he oh, yeah. was going to come back to help. Yeah, he was never bad, and I did wonder, because Electro said to him earlier, I liked you better before, and then zapped him, but you never saw the chip explode the way you did in Spider-Man 2, so we were left wondering, is the chip in control? Is he in control? What's going on with him? But he came back and he says, I'll take care of them, and he really means the villains. He's going to take care of Electro and rip the arc reactor off his chest, because Electro's big thing was, I've got more power than ever. How you like the new new? Because I've got an arc reactor now. <laughs> yeah, and Jamie Foxx has a funny moment when after he's come back to his senses as Max, he's just l- looks at Garfield and is like, you have a nice suit, you help poor people, I thought you'd be black. You come from Queens. <laughs> this is a Miles Morales reference, right? Like, go into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> well, yeah, he just needs to wait till October. If he wants to see a black Spider-Man, uh, we're g- getting across the Spider-Verse October. Ox happy to see McGuire has become a man. I feel like all of these reconnections, again, I had no feeling about Jamie Foxx and Andrew Garfield in Amazing 2, but them having this moment here is meaningful. Ock having his moment with McGuire is meaningful. And it retroactively makes the Garfield movies even better. Yeah, agreed. Well, yeah, you're smoothing them in. You're bringing in the webs to connect them in ways emotionally. Yeah, here's the amazing Spider-Man 3 that fixes those first two, I guess. But it's got to be down to Willem Dafoe to show up and wreck the party as the goblin. And he's going to blow up the box with the spell that was contained. So now the spell is going wild and Dafoe is flying around. Yeah, the multiverse is opening up around the Statue of Liberty, I guess, and everyone that ever knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man is coming through. And I guess in an infinite multiverse, that would be a lot of people, but it seems like a badly kept secret by the amount of people. (laughs) 
It should be a whole army of Aunt Mays. Yes. But I noticed a rhino. I noticed a scorpion. Not a mech suit Russian rhino. <laughs> yeah. But like a comic looking rhino, a comic looking scorpion. And yeah, I think I saw a comic Craven the Hunter up there. I didn't see Spider-Ham, but maybe on my next viewing I'll catch it. <laughs> and of course, the best moment in this entire movie has got to be the redemption of Andrew Garfield. When Goblin knocks MJ off the scaffolding. Yes! Oh. Tom Holland tries to save her, but he gets stuck on the glider. Who else is going to step in there? The crowd knew. They were just cheering. Yeah. It, it was funny because my wife is like, why is that Spider-Man going to save her? It should be the Tom Holland one. I'm like, no, no, no. This is a reference to Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Gwen Stacy. Like, I showed her that scene when we got home. If you saw that movie, that's the scene yeah. that sticks uh -huh. with you. That is a powerful scene that's the one scene that you don't leave i mean it feels like something healed in this moment watching yeah be rescued and i gotta think if i'm thinking realistically think about this the first spider-man movie is almost 20 years ago the first andrew garfield movie is almost 10 years ago it's like we're at the 20 year anniversary here just a few months shy i have to think in the eight years that he's been Spider-Man and stopped pulling his punches since Gwen died, he had to have saved some other people from falls. But I guess because he saved the girlfriend of Spider-Man, maybe. Yeah, it's MJ, and he lost his MJ. The, but the alternative self that loved this woman, I've spared him that pain. Yeah, I don't want him to turn out like me, and now he won't. I've been able to save her. It's a touching moment. And in the midst of this chaos, to have that touching moment... Man, Andrew Garfield, I love you, man, and I didn't even know. I'm telling you, he is my favorite Peter and Spider-Man. Like In this movie, yes, I'll agree with that. I'll say in all three franchises, like he is the one I wish this franchise continued with was with Andrew Garfield. Well, who knows? Maybe they'll all continue in their various movies, but we've got to get to saving Tom Holland first, you know, because he's got to kill Goblin. We see him heading down that vengeful path. Did we... Did we see him heading down that path? Because well, to me, when he says he didn't push the button because he wanted to kill the goblin himself, I'm like, that's not what I've been seeing the past half hour of the film. Yeah, it feels a little bit out of left field. Like, I, I get what they're going for. They got to have this moment because this Holland Spider-Man, I don't feel like he's gone through what makes a Spider-Man a Spider-Man. Like, you got to go through these steps. And so they're getting there and with a lot of this film. Like, the logic's not quite right, but okay, whatever. I'll, I'll go with it. It's not... 100% convincing, though. Well, yeah, it gives Holland something to do, and it gives the other Spider-Man something to teach him. Like, that's the important thing, is that his brothers show him how to do this job. If they were gone, if they had not been included in this fight, if it had just been Tom Holland fighting the old villains from other movies, then yeah, there would have been no reason for him not to, particularly if MJ had fallen to her death, but yeah, no reason not to take out Willem Dafoe. You know, I mentioned I met Tom Holland briefly at a con, and the gentleman is about my height, so he's a short dude. And you really see that when Tobey Maguire gets in front of him to <laughs> yeah. stop him from smashing the glider into Defoe, that Maguire is on his knees holding up the glider, preventing Tom Holland, who's standing at full height from impaling the Green Goblin, and while kneeling... Tobey Maguire is eye-to-eye -eye with the full erect Tom Holland. Yeah, sure. Yeah, before Holland can impale Goblin with his own glider, Maguire steps in, and this was a shock. They don't do it. They don't go through with it, but Goblin stabs him. I'm like, oh, 
they're actually going to kill one of these? I can't believe they've killed McGuire. Like, that was the biggest shock to me in this film. I had heard a rumor coming in, and the rumor was Andrew Garfield Spider-Man would die. Mm. And so this was weighing on me, this whole movie, is like, Andrew Garfield is kind of the shit upon Spider-Man of the three. Why kill him? You know, of all of them, why kill him? And then watching him this movie and liking him so much, I'm like, oh man, they're going to kill him, they're going to kill him. So when Toby gets stabbed, I'm like, maybe it was a fake out, maybe they're killing Toby. But part of me is like, you can't have two deaths and make them impactful. It's like Endgame. You didn't kill Captain America and Iron Man. You killed Black Widow and Iron Man, and it didn't quite have the same punch for Black Widow. Here, you killed Aunt May. If you also kill a Spider-Man, you're having diminished returns. So not only that, but then we'd really want to kill Willem Dafoe. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it wouldn't, the lesson wouldn't stick. We would be like, uh-uh, vengeance is right when you kill the wrong person. And here, what it is, is he got his back fixed, and now he's going to have a bad back again because he got stuck in the vertebra. You know, poor Toby Maguire with the bad back. He's like, I've been stabbed before, but they do play it the way he, the look on Toby Maguire's face and the way he falls. I thought he was dead. I thought dead too, but they then play it off. They probably even debated it. My guess is they might have even filmed a scene and said, not emotionally right, too much sadness. We want people to have a come-together feeling, not a eulogy feeling. We've had too much loss this last year. But with that done, Defoe is cured. And, of course, he never remembers what happened when he was Goblin. So he's just like, Peter, what's going on? And I do like McGuire's line, am I dying or are all those people in the sky? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, bringing it back to humor is a good thing. Yeah, it, it should it should be said, Strange has returned. He got out of the Grand Canyon. One of the random portals Ned opened brought Strange back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's got a few <laughs> seconds before it all, the dam breaks. And it is Tom Holland's Spider-Man that comes up with the idea of just, well, have everyone forget me. I'll just live with that. I can convince the people in that future who I am. I've been alone before. I've sacrificed before, and that's the only way to stop this from crushing down on our reality. And I thought they were making Strange just cast the spell he was going to cast at the beginning. Nobody remembers Peter Parker as Spider-Man. But actually, he's erasing Peter Parker from all of existence. Yeah, it it does kind of feel that way. It's it's hard to know when we see the scenes later, but it, it like I had to replay in my mind what really gets changed here. Because if you just say that they forget that he's Spider-Man, eh, then you can go back to telling people that you want to know and that's no big deal. But if they forget who you are and you never meant anything to them, that this is a essentially a person born into the earth without a mother now. Yeah, that's the crazy thing is when he goes to see MJ at the end, like What happens when he goes to school? Like, no one remembers this guy. I thought it was going to be... He's now going to school. He's got a GED book. He's going to just study to get his high school degree while they're at MIT. Okay. Because, like, yeah, no teachers are Mm going to remember him. Like, I get it. May is gone, so there's no parental figure to, like, forget him at this point. I guess Appy, maybe, will have that little reunion at the end and, and find out that, yeah, he doesn't even remember him, but totally wiped out from existence. Yeah, it's extreme. It's a bigger sacrifice than it feels like in the moment when they're saying goodbye. I'm like, eh, this is not a big deal, but it actually is a pretty big deal. Yeah, I do think they they do really milk it at like at the end. Like they really, I'm I'm like okay, kind of wrap it up. I don't care about Holland and MJ forgetting each other, but maybe that means something to someone. 
I kind of liked their goodbye and I liked their kiss and shout out, you know, in a movie with three Spider-Men, Zendaya, you're not going to get a whole lot of coverage in our podcast. But once again, I think she did very well here. She makes me forget she's Zendaya. And I just think of her as the character. And I thought of she was very convincing and fun in this movie. Is this the first time we find out? I know... She was never Mary Jane. Like, they called her Michelle in, I think, Homecoming, but Michelle Jones. That's the MJ. I don't know if we knew that last name. Yeah, I think we knew Michelle Jones. And in this one, they reveal it's Jones Watson, but she doesn't go by the Watson. So it is MJ Watson. So very close. And interesting, too, to think that, okay, you take Peter out of the equation. MJ is such a closed off person. She's so negative and thinking about disappointment that she would just go and fall in love with Ned it's touching enough that I understand why Peter doesn't want to wreck it when he gets back to the donut shop. Oh, no, 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 no. They're not in love. But my audience thought they were. I thought they were. I, why do you think they're not? Yeah, I thought they were. The way it goes is Peter goes to see her at the donut shop. And walking in behind Peter is Ned. And she waves to Ned. Yeah. And my whole audience goes, oh. <gasps> Like, she and Ned were going to kiss hello or something. Yeah, I thought they were. She brings him a donut, and they, yeah, they're definitely an item. I don't think they're an item. I think they're friends together because they were both on that academic decathlon. No. I mean, Flash ain't there hanging out with them. It's just them. Peter sees that she is in love with him and doesn't want to wreck it. No. That's the reason why he doesn't say the speech. No, the reason he doesn't say the speech, and I caught this on the second viewing, because I I wondered. I wondered, you know, because at the end of the spell, Peter is there saying, I will find you two, and I will make you remember who I am. And so Peter, you know, I don't know if it's the very next day or what time has passed, but he goes into the donut shop and sees MJ there, and he starts the speech, and then he gets afraid because he's a little nervous nerd, and he orders a coffee. And then after that, when she rings him up, he's about to say the speech again. He's seen Ned. He's seen her. He brings up the paper again so he can read that speech. And MJ moves her hair and he sees the Band-Aid on her forehead. Right. And then he's like, does that hurt? And he realizes, having met with the other Spider-Men and everything, if I let them be close to me, they're going to get hurt. Yeah. It's because of the injury to her head and for her own protection that he makes the sacrifice and walks away. Yeah, and that they're in MIT because he wasn't around. Again, he associates kind of what J. Jonah Jameson was saying, that essentially he's bad luck to the people around him. They end up dead. They end up getting hurt. I agree with all of that. I'm just also going to argue that she's with Ned. I really see that. Uh, the way they talk was just so casual and everything. No, it is not casual. You and I have never talked like that, Ernie. <laughs> like, that is not a casual relationship. That is a loving, my boyfriend came to see me at my work. Yeah, I'll side with you, Stuart. I did think maybe they were together. I don't see that. Listeners, let us know what you think, because I think they were just friends. Well, th that's fine. Uh, my other curiosity is J. Jonah Jameson is still shit-talking Spider-Man, but it's anonymous. He doesn't know who that menace is. It's anonymous. Yeah, he doesn't know it's Peter anymore. Yeah. So what we're finding out here is Spider-Man is still known to the world. J. Jonah Jameson still thinks he's a menace. Yeah, he still has a hate boner for Spider-Man. But he doesn't know he's Peter Parker. Here's, I mean, part four should come out, I think, and somebody will explain this to me. I think Holland is contracted for one more MCU film, Feige has said, so it'll be explained. But I want to know, when he goes to May's grave and Happy is there... 
And Happy says, how did you know her? So not only did everyone forget Peter Parker, May didn't have a nephew in this reality. Mm-hmm. And he says, through Spider-Man. Is it that they didn't have- Or did they forget? Yeah, I think they just forgot, like, May, yeah, she raised someone, but everyone's forgotten about that. Which brings up the interesting question of if you can get photographic evidence, like, are there photos lying around of Aunt May and Peter? Or did they all get destroyed from the spell? Right. Or did they get snapped out of existence? These are the same problems I had with One More Day when Mephisto did this. Like, there's so many questions about how that would actually work. But the fact that Happy says he knew May through Spider-Man mm-hmm. makes me think that, like, the dead can't remember, so maybe in Happy's mind, May was the liaison to the man behind the mask or something? Well, yeah, because Spider-Man was showing up at those food pantry things. Yeah, she he was the icon of her soup kitchen. Yeah, that was a little bit interesting to me there, but they'll explain it. But now he's alone, and this has to be a joke, right? He's getting his own apartment, one of the big memes for Spider-Man is from the original Raimi trilogy and that guy, rent! <laughs> yeah. I need rent! It looks like a pretty rundown apartment that that Russian might own. Oh, is that why they cheered? People really cheered when the apartment, and I wrote down the number, apartment 41. I'm like, is that something that's important? They cheered for that? Oh, they did. They cheered because the landlord said rent is due the first of the month and don't be late. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even put that one together. That's funny. The landlord's getting a, a applause break. It's not even an Eastern European landlord. It was just a landlord. But they said the line. And I got a little dirt in my eye, as Toby Maguire might say, because when he gets in that apartment, what's the first thing he puts out? But that Lego emperor from that first film... We'd seen the Lego Death Star in Happy's apartment earlier. Oh, yeah. No, I remembered it. The first time we ever met Ned, he was, we will build my Lego Death Star. And I thought that was really sweet. Even though that's the emperor for the uh, much larger set than they feature. (laughs) I was reminded of that uh, goof. (laughs) And does Peter not have his suit anymore? We will see a sewing machine and he creates a new outfit. Now, I know he's gone through a lot of costume changes, <laughs> but is Tony's tech gone? Or does he feel like he's got to become a thing on his own? Like, that's how I read right, it. Right, right. It could be either. He's got to be his own man. I always felt like he's overpowered because he had all that Stark tech. I agree completely that it took away from Spider-Man that he had all this AI and stuff every movie. And it was downplayed this movie. He just had a nano suit, but he didn't have Edith. He didn't have drone strikes. Is it because he's wanted like early on, like he can't connect to the Stark network and there's no facial recognition. I thought maybe that's because he's so wanted, like he's been cut off from all that. Mm. This outfit's a little ice capades, isn't it? It's a little shimmery. It's almost like what I would picture if I did go to see one of those Marvel on Ice shows. Well, it's homemade. Again, if you make it with a sewing machine and not with nanobots, uh, it's probably going to, yeah, resemble something Tanya Harding would wear more than Tony Stark. And we finally get what the new movies have been denying us because the Raimi movies all famously ended with Tobey Maguire swinging through the New York City streets, landing on the American flag. The Andrew Garfield films ended with him swinging through the streets or at least swinging at the Rhino. And here we're finally going to end a movie with Tom Holland swinging, whereas the past two have both ended on a what the fuck moment. The first one with Aunt May finding him in the outfit. And literally, I mean, they they like go, what the credits roll in both those movies? 
Yeah, I mean, he was swinging with MJ, but I see what you're saying. Right. And when we get the credits, we get De La Soul. Three is the magic number, emphasizing that, again, all three have helped make this movie what it is. Worth asking, Garfield and Tobey Maguire went back to their other universes. Would they potentially get sequels of their own? Yeah, I actually kind of want it. I would love that. I mean, why not? If DC can do it. You know, Sam Raimi is doing Doctor Strange. Let Sam Raimi come back. Even if it was just a one-off for each one, like, I think that'd be great. There was an episode of Doctor Who where the five doctors got together. And again, it was a one-off, but like, maybe you just want to leave this as it is. Like, I agree. Goodwill on this three coming together and partnering for this very special moment, but maybe a whole movie of Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield would be a setback. I, I can't decide. It is kind of like a high school reunion where you get to see people you haven't seen and you feel really good seeing your old friends and you found out what they're doing, but now you have nothing to talk about. Right. End of the conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's in the past. That was the past and it's always nice. You know, nostalgia is a nice feeling sometimes when it's in good memories anyway. <laughs> but what is the future? Is the future Venom and Eddie being involved? We get this mid-credits. Well, no, I think this is how Venom gets into the MCU. This is so confusing to me. All right, help me out, because I didn't get this scene. In Venom, at the end of Venom, we see him teleported to another universe or reality, and we took it to mean he's in the MCU because he sees Spider-Man on TV, and he hasn't had time to leave Mexico. Now, I don't know why he was pulled in. He's never even heard of a Peter Parker. So it's not like he's one of the people who knew Peter Parker's identity. Mm -hmm. And then presumably when Doctor Strange casts that spell where everybody forgets Peter Parker is when he is sent back. Is that what happened? Okay, see, you even explaining that was like, I thought he was turning into some other being because people started applauding. People applauded that moment like it was some big like, oh, we're finally getting... <laughs> Who's its butt? You know, the Venom spinoff. Did they applaud him getting sent back or did they applaud that little speck of symbiote crawling on the bar? It was all happened so fast it was difficult to say, but they were applauding from the second the heavenly light came in. And then, yeah, they, it just looked like Venom left behind some goo. Which he did. Yeah, it does feel weird like this is how Venom's going to get into the Spider-Verse. So that's what they're saying. Okay, so Venom can be part of the MCU, but it will have nothing to do with Tom Hardy other than he left it. There's going to be two Venoms. There's going to be Tom Hardy Venom and whatever Venom fights Tom Holland, I think. My point is Tom Hardy will not be seeing Tom Holland. No, I don't believe so. They're two different universes, even though they're both owned by Sony. Like, they have demarcated them now. Like, they're two separate things. But which one does Morbius take place in, then? Because it's got Michael Keaton. Who knows? Does anyone care what universe Morbius takes place in? I'm confused. It seems like a lot of mechanation to get an alien bit of goo there when you have space aliens coming to Earth regularly. Like, they're making jokes repeatedly about aliens in this universe. Yeah. Aliens do not care about rocks. Aliens eat brains. I agree with Tom Hardy there. Yes. <laughs> I liked that scene, though, just because of I like seeing the commentary on the MCU from a 90s superhero film and the big green one Hulk. <laughs> and you thought Lethal Protector was a shit name. <laughs> yeah, you guys like Venom a whole lot more than I do. So I, I didn't even understand the scene. Thank you for putting it in context. I don't know what it will mean. I doubt it is the next movie. I could be wrong, but my sense is that Tom Holland fighting a black gooey Spider-Man Venom 
But that's not what's going to happen next. We get the end stinger, and it's kind of a cheat, right? Because it's it's just a trailer. It's not a scene. It's just the first time we're seeing footage from, what is it called? Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Okay, yeah. And they've done this before. If you remember the end of Captain America, the first Avenger, I always felt cheated because they didn't give us an end scene. They gave us an end trailer for Avengers. Yeah, I kind of remember that. But hey, it's a trailer to Avengers. That's something people want to see. <laughs> Doctor Strange 2? Come on, weren't people excited to see Wanda back? And talking about her TV show, in case you haven't watched it yet, she's like, I know I made mistakes at Westboros. So go watch that TV show before whenever Doctor Strange comes out. I don't even know if you have to watch it because I forgot what she was referencing. I'm like, oh yeah, she was in that TV show where she enslaved all those people. And he immediately responds, I'm not here about that. Yeah. Yeah, like, it doesn't matter, really. It's Disney+. Plus. I would rather watch a second season of that TV show than watch this movie. I'm not excited about it. We know you hate Doctor Strange. I don't like this version of Doctor Strange at all. I don't believe anyone does. Like, does anyone really like him? I'll be interested to see if Raimi could do anything with him. We'll see. Obviously, this one is the Superman 3 thing, right? There's a good Doctor Strange and an evil Doctor Strange. Which, if you watch the What If cartoon, has already been introduced. Okay. There's also some octopus with a big eye on it going down the street. Cthulhu, right? Shuma Gorath, please make a toy of him, Hasbro. Oh my God, I'm so excited to get Shuma Gorath. Oh, is this an actual Marvel? I thought it was actually like Cthulhu or something. This is a Marvel alien thing. Marvel creature was so much fun to play and I think it was Marvel versus Capcom 3 when I played Shuma Gorath. Oh, that's right. Okay, I know who yeah. it is now. Yeah, <laughs> so much fun. I just bought a model of him because I didn't think they'd make the toy and then here he shows up. You know, it's Sam Raimi, evil Doctor Strange, good Doctor Strange. We've got coming back Mordo, who said the problem was too many wizards. The first Doctor Strange movie isn't tops of my list, but that does not mean this can't be a really good movie. I, I just hope Disney lets Raimi be Raimi. Like, I always feel like they've got too much control. Like, if you're going to get a prestige director, like, let them do their thing. Well, they already fired one director that started that project. So <laughs> who knows and who's right? I'm not going to say. And I'm not even going to speculate whether it would be good or bad. I'm hearing you guys saying you're excited. Uh, right now, I'm not feeling it. Mm, I wouldn't say excited. Yeah, that's five months away. We got Morbius living vampire in a month. More excited than Morbius. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, there, there's other stuff to focus on before we get back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, we're going to talk about what the future holds, but first, Jacob Stewart, how can you not recommend Spider-Man No Way Home? Jacob? I mean, I went through a journey, and I always feel like with these these MCU ones, it's kind of their film to lose, because they got this factory of filmmaking going on, and so I'm going along, and when from seeing the trailers and hearing the rumors, seeing the score track listings, I'm like, okay, I, I can kind of figure out this film. It's bad guys are going to show up, and then like the last five minutes, three Spider-Men are going to show up and fight them, and saves the day. It's kind of a goofy, one-off crossover with Doctor Strange, whatever. What I didn't realize, and what caught me by surprise because again I, I said I went in with all that cynicism this is going to be Ghostbusters Afterlife screw this nostalgia machine I don't care about Toby I don't care about Andrew like I like their films but like you're trying to manipulate me by doing this but what they do with them when they do show up like that's when it wins me over where I'm like yeah it, this is fine it's another average MCU film but to make this film about healing about you know I feel like I'm often alone saying superhero shouldn't kill like Batman don't kill don't do that in those movies Superman don't 
breaks Odin's neck. That's not what superheroes do. And I feel like that's what this film is about. Like, no, let's rehabilitate. Let's cure their ass, not kick their ass. And, and I feel like that is central to Spider-Man. Like, what I've been missing from Holland is addressed in this film. Like, why I've never really connected with him as a Spider-Man, where, especially this recent rewatching with Toby and Andrew, like, I'm like, oh, like, not all those films are great or, or perfect, but I'm like, I, I get what Spider-Man is and what he needs to do. And that's the problem with Holland. And they finally gave him some of those moments in this. And so it, it really is like the moment I thought I was going to hate the most with that reunion of Spider-Man, cheap cash in to, to get $50 million on preview night, Thursday night, to, to make this a huge blockbuster uh, in the midst of Omicron. Like you're really manipulating us. I'm like, no, they actually did something with these characters. And that, that was a shock to me. I wasn't expecting that. And what they do with them is pretty good. Like, again, I like when they come together and the, these teaching moments. And, and so, yeah, the rest is it's a Marvel beat em up superhero film. But I do feel like this kind of taps into our times. Like we are trying to heal. There are millions of people around the world that have died in the last two years because of things going on. And a lot of just division in our country. And like, this is about, hey, can we do something about that? Can we come together? Maybe it will take Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield to heal this nation, but maybe they could do it. So it ended up getting over that cynicism, which I, I feel like at my age, I, I've grown very cynical. It's like seeing what's happened the last few years, I've grown very cynical. Like, so wow, it, it actually touched me. And, and so that, that means something now for the rest of my family who hadn't experienced all those Spider-Man films, like they were confused and they're like, okay, I guess this is just from another movie. So like, I do feel like this is for the fans. Like you, you're going to want to rewatch everything and just have that fresh in your mind, but it, it's worth the journey. Yeah. This is a solid recommend. It's out of the Tom Holland films. Like this is the best one for me. Stuart. Yeah, a really nice surprise. Like J. Jonah Jameson, I had Spider-Man written off as something bad that I didn't want, and, and, and I was all wrong. What I thought this movie was going to be was a battle royale in which they grabbed everything they could that anyone had ever had any feeling about and threw it into a, a flurry of noise and action and fights atop fights. And there would be nothing of character work and emotionalism. Everything would be about setting up a multiverse and stage four of MCU. Now, there is a little bit of that movie here, but it's not the point of this movie. Yes, No Way Home is easily the best Spider-Man live-action movie for me of all time, but clearly of the Tom Holland era, because it takes all of those timelines and, and all those other things. Because we have a long history now of Spider-Man on screen, we can move from the coming-of-age themes into saying something about middle age. And that's really, like, even as a non-fan, I'm experiencing something very emotional and sentimental and touching because it's talking about what it is to grow up, accepting loss, leaving behind meaningful people and moments, loneliness, and how you buoy what you've lost in middle age with what you've gained in your ethics and your personal character. And so I think it really understands something about what it is to not be a boy anymore and expresses it in a very beautiful way. And again, even though I don't consider myself a Spider-Man fan, I think anyone that has seen the movies before and grown up with it, uh, they're going to be feel part of this family reunion. It gives fan service a good name, which is something I could not say about Ghostbusters Afterlife or Star Trek Into Darkness. Like, best live-action Spider-Man movie and probably... One of the best MCU efforts, 
of all time. Certainly the best one since Endgame. That's not saying much. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that is not saying very much. I agree with that, but... Well, I'm including the TV series with that, too. I'm including Loki and WandaVision and... Yep, still not saying much. Yeah, that's still not saying much. <laughs> I like those things. Yeah, they're fine, but like, yeah, no. <laughs> they're fine. They're okay. They're pretty good. But, I mean, Endgame. Oof. I am so jazzed by this movie, and it satisfied every single fanboy urge in me in a way that did it without harming the film. That's the thing is, again, as I said earlier, as a fanboy, I can want to indulge things like even more Garfield, Toby banter, but... That's not how you make a film. That's not how you can pace a film. You got to keep balance. And unless we weren't going to have a Tom Holland story, if this wasn't going to be a Tom Holland film, then yes, you'd have the other Spider-Men show up at the end of Act 1, and then you'd have a lot more of this. But this is the third, the conclusion of the Homecoming trilogy. And might I just add as a side note, I find No Way Home to be a really clumsy name. It has nothing to do with anything. Well, they're sending them home, and is there a way? I, I agree. It's No Way Home. There's no way home for Peter. Like, that's how I took it. Like, he yeah. is erased. He's gone. There is yeah. no home for him. I don't know why they latched onto every movie must have home in the title for this trilogy, but okay. It's given it a theme. Good or bad, this closes, you're right, this closes the chapter on three films. Whatever we get next with Tom Holland will be different. Yes, and it is so satisfying as a Tom Holland Spider-Man film, and you're right, you guys kind of grilled me with the last two because I got into some of the John Hughes stuff. I enjoyed the high school banter. I enjoyed the love triangle with that one guy on the European vacation. I was able to go with the Nickelodeon show. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Disney Plus these days. But yes, I was able to go with the teenage show as well as the superhero hijinks. But here... I was thinking about you guys the first time I saw this movie because they did remove the high school hijinks. You don't have room for it in this movie. So you have a Spider-Man movie that's kind of a return to the other ones. Even when Andrew Garfield was in high school in that first movie, it wasn't a huge part of it. So you get a pure Spider-Man film and Tom Holland's chance to shine as the character despite having to share the spotlight with two other, and depending on your generation, possibly more beloved Spider-Men. And they find the balance where they're able to bring these three together and not undermine Tom Holland and making this Tom Holland story and keeping his time with MJ and Ned. Doctor Strange is a bit undermined because nothing he has done in this movie makes a whole lot of sense. I also don't know why he needed certain runes to cast the spell at the beginning, but could just cast it at the top of the Statue of Liberty at the end. But there are certain conveniences that I will let go in order to have as much fun as I'm having with this movie. And yes, honestly, after Endgame, I felt stakes had been so raised by the MCU. How could you bring back this level of excitement. And God knows they haven't succeeded in doing so with Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, WandaVision, Loki, Falcon and Winter Soldier, or even Hawkeye, which is my favorite of the TV shows. But here, they were able to make Spider-Man Endgame, a crossover that I never thought would come of all the Spider-Man shared universes. And somehow they shoehorned Tom Hardy into a credit scene. For all of its fan service and for all of its bloat... 
I think it's also a really tight film. It was surprising to me while writing a plot summary, this isn't an overly complex film. It's a stuffed film, but it's pretty straightforward. These you know, Cast a spell, these people come in, try to fix them, have a fight, other Spider-Men come in. And yet, I, even though I knew May was going to die, I still found myself emotional with the way they played it during that moment. I wasn't crying, I wasn't like that guy in the pajama pants, but I felt emotion. So yeah, this is a strong recommend, and I'm so happy to feel so excited for a movie again, because after Endgame, I felt like Marvel's best days literally might be behind them. I thought, uh, we're in the decline years now. We're in the sequel trilogy of Star Wars. I thought that was your review of Eternals. Yeah, (laughs) that was essentially what you said when last we checked in with you, you were ready to sell off all your Marvel stuff and move on to something else. But Existential Crisis, and now, yeah, healing, restoration. I do think... Yeah, by bringing in all the things that have worked in Spider-Man and even some things that didn't and fixing them, they have been able to unify the fan base and set themselves up for whatever comes next. But what comes next? Here's the key. Now, Amy Pascal, who is the producer of the Spider-Man films over at Sony, has announced there will be a new Spider-Man trilogy with Tom Holland. Right. But Tom Holland has not signed a contract to that, to which Amy Pascal then said, Oh, well, I'm the producer. I just hope things work out. I always say things are going to work out. Tom Holland said, you know, I've been acting a lot lately. I'd like to take some time off and start a family with my girlfriend Zendaya. Mm. Are they a thing in real life? Yeah, they've been a thing in real life for a while now. Okay. Now, I think, though, honestly, the MCU lost Iron Man. They lost Captain America. They need Spider-Man. They need Spider-Man. They do. It feels like Far From Home was setting up Spider-Man as the new Tony Stark. It does. And I feel like now he is. And I wonder if this whole, I'm going to take a break from acting and start a family is a strong arm negotiation tactic. Yeah, I just want to know, like, Disney's going to pull out the checkbook. Like, we'll buy you Sony. We'll buy you Tom Holland. You'll be in servitude to us forever. Like, they got to hold on to him. Listen to this movie. Listen to this movie. This movie, they have to back up the money truck. We talked about its opening night, 242 million opening weekend. That's like pre-pandemic numbers. That's crazy. Yeah. Infinity War barely made more than that. Infinity War made 257, and this is making 242 with Omicron. I know a number of people who were planning to see this movie this weekend and messaged me and said, Omicron, I can't go. The people in my town are assholes who don't wear masks. I can't go. All those assholes are going, though. (laughs) Yes. But what Tom Holland also said is, the world's had enough white (laughs) Spider-Men. It's time for Miles Morales to get his movie. I'll step aside. Let's have them just start a new Spider-Man saga with Miles. I kind of agree with that. I feel like as important as Spider-Man might be to the MCU, I don't think that Tom Holland has to have that. And I say that with no maliciousness. I think he was good. I liked him. Yeah, he's fine. But I, yeah, like Garfield, like that, I really like his performance. But Holland, like... Look at you and Garfield now. Like, I still feel like those are the worst movies. But I'm telling you, man, I loved his performance in those. Like, give me that amazing three. And to defend Jacob, Jacob was messaging me or all of us and saying how good Andrew Garfield was before seeing this movie. 
just revisiting the Andrew Garfield films opened his eyes. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I feel like everybody's done pretty good in the role, but that doesn't mean there aren't more talented actors out there that can step in. And Spider-Man will be important, but I would also say that the MCU banking on any single character to save it is a mistake. They need to keep building up their reservoir of characters and making people like the new people as much as the old. Yeah, because the new characters they have introduced, the Eternals, I I liked it, kind of, but I recognize most people don't. And we've had a lot of, like, passing of the torches. Like, I know Hawkeye, they're setting up a new Hawkeye, set up a new Black Widow. So it's, like, more of the same. Like, there are so many characters in the MCU. But hey, Jacob... They kept Daredevil. Yeah, I I guess we'll see a Charlie Cox Daredevil (laughs) film at some point. Well, we don't have much of a break from Marvel, though, because Marjorie has told me when we saw the final trailer before Spider-Man, I'm headed to Morbius alone. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't look good. And yeah, we're stuck with it. I mean, you guys have been surprised before. We all thought Venom looked terrible, and I still say it is. But you guys really like it. So there's something that might happen. I don't get that vibe from the trailer. Like, it feels like it's too goth for me. Jared Leto can be too much. Go watch House of Gucci and you know it's true. But hey, why are we talking about Marvel? It's Christmas. Enough of spiders. We need to talk about cats. Oh, yeah. Who will be our Jellicle patrons this month? They're going to be getting a real treat this Friday as our seasonal gift to you. We have gone back to the 2019 musical fiasco (laughs) that, uh, Jacob, I don't think you've ever stopped talking about. I think every week we talk about your feelings about Cat. Yeah, no, it drives my family crazy. Like, I love to just break out into Buster for Jones, and they just... (laughs) It's the ultimate dad joke, I feel, at this point, Cats. (laughs) That is a way of thinking about it. I guess it is a big dad joke. It's a joke of some kind. I saw it on Christmas in 2019, and I was told in the advertising, I'll believe that it's some kind of Christmas movie. I guess we'll have to figure that out. We'll have to figure out a lot of things in that show. Yes, that's available for $10 patrons of a monthly pledge. It's the 60th show. If you become a $10 patron, you get 60 bonus podcasts, including this month's additional one, Cats, and a new one added each month. And this is a pledge you can make through Apple on their podcast app, or through Spotify on their podcast app, or at Patreon, or through Podbean through their crowdfunding platform. So wherever you pledge, you get our monthly bonus podcasts. And yes, Cats is one that I know Jacob has been just chomping at the bit for, and... It will be a jellicle day when we get that review released. Christmas Eve, this Friday. But Jacob, did you learn from that movie that a cat is not a dog? It's one of the most important lessons of that film. (laughs) Because we're also, we've got a giveaway this week. If you are a member of our Facebook listener group or subscribe to our InFocus newsletter, we're giving away a copy of Clifford the Big Red Dog. Oh, I hope you have kids. (laughs) I, I don't know who else would want to see that. That does sound like the perfect companion to cats. I've heard people compare it to Paddington. Mm, Okay, yeah, Paddington is light. This tale of a 10-foot tall canine is out on digital, and we're giving away five digital download codes. So join the Facebook group or subscribe to the InFocus newsletter by this Friday, Christmas Eve, and you can win one of those copies of Clifford. And we're also giving away a copy digital of Fast and Furious 9. Weird. I I think I'd rather win Clifford. (laughs) 
Yeah. So if you answer the trivia question in Friday's In Focus newsletter, the copy of Fast and Furious 9 will be yours. So yes, this Friday, it's cats and dogs <laughs> on Now Playing. And there are new movies coming out as well that we're excited about that we'll be covering. Matrix Resurrections, the fourth or maybe the fifth movie, if you count the Animatrix. We will be covering that a week from Friday, a week after Cats. And Kingsman, it has a prequel that's coming out. We will be getting to it, but not next Tuesday. First Tuesday in January, we will cover a Kingsman. In between, more Stephen King, a nightmare and dreamscape story, maybe my favorite from that collection, Dolan's Cadillac. It's a Christian Slater, Stephen King combo. So hopefully you join us Christmas Eve for a little extra catnip in your stocking with our review of cats. Jellicles can and Jellicles do. And we'll talk to you then because with great podcasts come great responsibility. It's all my fault. I drove Spider-Man away. Spider-Man was a hero. I just couldn't see it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Spider-Man Retrospective Series. It's good to have you back, Spider-Man. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. It's hip, it's now, it's wow, and how. Crawl on the World Wide Web to nowplayingpodcast.com. In the archive section, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts. What are you waiting for? Chinese New Year? Go, go, go! We also have non-comic-based movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Rocky, Star Wars, James Bond, Middle Earth, Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and many more. There are bigger things happening here than me and you. Plus, we have individual movie reviews, such as Avatar, Titanic, E.T., Inception, Pulp Fiction, Apocalypse Now, Doctor Strangelove, and hundreds more. I am so loving this. Oh, me too. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next Tuesday for another all-new movie review podcast. It came. Looks like just in the nick of time. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. I'm going. I'll be here when you get back. The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Everybody needs help sometimes, Peter. Even Spider-Man. Now Playing is an independent podcast, 100% crowdfunded, thanks to listeners like you. Meat. I'll send you a nice box of Christmas meat. Best I can do. Get out of here. Become a Now Playing patron, and you can get access to dozens of exclusive bonus podcasts. For a $10 monthly pledge, you can hear our host review Apocalypse Now, Real Genius, Taxi Driver, Con Air, and dozens more. You have money, right? I'm not very liquid right now. You can subscribe to get these bonus podcasts through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. It's not always about the money, Spider-Man. Now Playing's Spider-Man Retrospective Series is produced and edited by Arnie Carvalho. Misery, 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 that's what you've chosen. Associate produced by Jason Latham. No, I'm going to do my job, that's what I'm going to do. I I can't, you know, and I do my job. Now playing credit narration by Brock. He's got a nice voice. Now playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or Columbia Pictures. Spider-Man and all that the Marvel Universe contains is the property and trademark of the Disney Company. And no infringement is intended. And I've never even seen his face. 
The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I missed the part where that's my problem. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2021. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. What are you, his lawyer? Get out of here. Let him sue me. Get rich like a normal person. Enough said. I knew this podcast would be like this, in which I would be, like, just going through the movie and you guys would be hung up on little details, like, it should be the Sinister Six. I, I, I mean, mean you, you've been on now playing how long, Stuart? <laughs> it has to be six people. Never a thought in my head. Not once. <laughs> that That's why we have newbies on the show. <laughs> Basically, he was, oh my God, what's her name? The Long Island Lolita, not Amy Schumer. Amy Fisher.